Good morning. The meeting will come to order. Welcome to the January 24, 2024 meeting of the Budget and Finance Committee. I'm Supervisor Connie Chan, Chair of the Committee. I'm joined by Vice Chair Raphael Mendelman uh, and shortly by Supervisor Mirna Malgar. Our clerk is Brent Halipa. I'd like to thank uh, SFGov TV for broadcasting this meeting. Mr. Clerk, do you have any announcement? Thank you, Madam Chair. Just a friendly reminder to those in attendance uh, to please make sure to silence all cell phones and electronic devices uh, so as to not to interrupt our proceedings. Uh, should you have any documents to be included as part of the file that should be submitted to myself, the clerk, uh, public comment will be taken on each item on this agenda. When your item of interest comes up and public comment is called, please line up to speak on the west side of the chamber to your right by left, right along those curtains. And uh, while not necessary to provide public comment, we do invite you to fill out a comment card and leave them on the tray by the television uh, to your left uh, by the doors uh, if you wish to be accurately recorded for the minutes. Uh, alternatively, you may submit public comment in writing in either of the following ways. Email them to myself, the Budget and Finance Committee Clerk at brent.jalipa at sfgov.org. If you submit public comment via email, it will be forwarded to the supervisors and also included as part of the official file. You may also send your written comments via U.S. Postal Service to our office in City Hall. That's 1, Dr. Carlton B. Goodlett Place, Room 244, San Francisco, California, 94102. And finally, Madam Chair, items acted upon today are expected to appear on the Board of Supervisors agenda of January 30th, unless otherwise stated. Madam Chair. Thank you, and just a, a simple reminder, as we always have uh, the Budget and Legislative Analyst Report, and today we have it for a quite a bit of items actually on today's agenda, three, seven, eight, nine, 13, and 15. So we will have the department presentation followed by the budget and legislative analyst report. Then we'll take uh, committee questions, then public comments. And with that, Mr. Clerk, please call item number one. Yes, item number one is an ordinance retroactively authorizing the Office of the Chief Medical Examiner to accept and expend a grant in the amount of approximately $1 million from the California Department of Public Health, Substance, and Addiction Prevention Branch in amending the annual salary ordinance for fiscal years 2023-2024 and 2024-2025 to provide for the addition of grant-funded Class 2403 forensic laboratory analyst, class 2456 forensic toxicologist, and class 2457 forensic toxicologist supervisor positions as required for the period beginning December 1st, 2023 through June 30th, 2028. Madam Chair. Thank you. And today we have, um, do we have the city administrator's office here? It's weird. Okay. Yeah. Madam Chair, I believe this was uh, continued as amended from last week. Uh, okay. All right. Um, so then let's go to public comments on this item. Uh, yes. We now invite members of the public who have joined us today who wish to speak on this item to line up now uh, to speak right along to your right. Um, and please come forward to the lectern and all speakers will have two minutes to speak. Madam Chair, we have no speakers. Seeing no public comments, public comment is now closed. Okay, uh, we did have amendments from last week. And uh, with that is because they actually also have to amend the uh, ASO uh, with the uh, annual salary ordinance to uh, include the position. And that was substantive and we continued from the last week. And so with that, um, I'm gonna make the motion to move the amended uh, 
legislation from last week uh, that continued to this week to full board with recommendation and with that a roll call please. And on that motion to forward the ordinance to the full board with a positive recommendation, Vice Chair Mandelman. Mandelman, aye. A member Melgar. Melgar absent. Chair Chan. Aye. Chan, aye. Uh, we have two ayes with member Melgar absent. Thank you, and the motion passes. And uh, with that, uh, Mr. Clerk, please call item number two. Yes, item number two uh, is an ordinance amending ordinance number 8-18 to authorize the general manager of the Public Utilities Commission to enter into amendments and extensions of or replacements for the bank credit facility agreement authorized under the ordinance to provide liquidity support as needed for power purchases, regulatory requirements, and other financial obligations of Clean Power SF, a community choice aggregation program for an additional term or terms not exceeding 10 years. Madam Chair. Thank you. I just want to thank uh, SFPUC for a briefing to uh, really allow me to learn more about the technical aspects of this legislation um, so that we understand why this is before us today and uh, we have SIPUC, our Public Utilities Commission, here today. Good morning, Supervisors. My name is Nikolai Sklaroff. I'm the Capital Finance Director for the SFPUC. My team works with all four of our rated entities uh, to access the capital markets uh, for various bonds, uh, letters of credit, and other uh, financial products. The legislative file before you today has a lot of paper in it, but it's actually a relatively simple item. In 2018, the Board of Supervisors authorized the general manager to enter into credit agreements to facilitate the operations of Clean Power SF to provide clean power here in, in San Francisco. Uh, that uh, authority is coming to an end, and it's um, a time now to renew that. And this simply renews the existing uh, authority for the existing amount of $150 million, up to $150 million, uh, for another 10 years. Now, this facility is uh, a key facility for allowing Clean Power SF to continue to function um, in San Francisco. If I could have the next slide, please. Uh, we've provided you with the legislative history, and as I mentioned, this was originally authorized in 2018. Subsequent to that, the SFPUC did uh, have a uh, competitive process for selecting a bank, uh, JP Morgan, to provide such a facility for $75 million. The, SF, uh, the Clean Power SF uh, enterprise was subsequently rated by Moody's Investors Service uh, with the highest rating of any of the uh, community choice aggregators in the state, and that allowed us to reduce the need for, for credit uh, facilities. But we still do require credit facilities. If I can have the next uh, slide. Why do we need these credit facilities? The Clean Power SF enters into various uh, contracts with counterparties to acquire power into the future. This is in order to provide reliable future power. And some of those agreements require the posting of uh, collateral. We could post cash, but it's much more efficient and low, lowers our cost to be able to enter into uh, credit agreements and specific, specifically letters of credit, which are simply uh, 
a backstop to our promises, and should we ever fail on those promises, the counterparty can access uh, the funds from the bank um, rather than posting actual cash and losing the interest earnings on, on that cash. And this is a, a product used throughout uh, city departments as well. One of the key items and one of the items that has affected our timing is that the California Public Utilities Commission has a financial security requirement. Uh, that is the requirement that they maintain that should Clean Power SF ever go out of business, uh, this would cover the cost of returning those customers to uh, PG&E. Um, and this is a, a requirement for all community choice aggregators across the state. Uh, they are reevaluating that uh, requirement. We had expected a decision on that in October. We're still awaiting that. But the anticipation is that because there was a CCA in Southern California that did go out of business, that that requirement will increase substantially. And this facility will allow us to meet that requirement on any other liquidity requirements under those purchase uh, agreements. And with that, I'm very happy to uh, answer any questions you may have. Vice Chair Mandelman. Um, thank you, Madam Chair, um, and thank you for your presentation and your work. Um, I do think that Clean Power SF is one of the great policy successes for San Francisco over the last couple of decades and um, would like to add myself to this as a co-sponsor. Thank you. I don't think it has any sponsor, so I think when Vice Chair Mandelman added, then he will be the sponsor of the legislation. I, I appreciate the work. It's very technical, but um, I think that to understand this, at least from what uh, after our briefing, you know, to understand this as both as a collateral and a leverage for us to continue to operate um, for Clean Power SF, it's critical. Um, it is, uh, it's been concerning seeing the bankruptcy filed in Southern California for the Community Choice Aggregation Program there. Um, definitely wanna see a continuing expansion, not just for San Francisco, but regionally, we do have the Northern California Community Choice Aggregation um, Coalition uh, would like to see um, everyone is fiscally sound and sustained and continuing. Um, by uh, Supervisor um, Melgar. Thank you, uh, Chair Chan. Um, my question was along your comments um, in that I'm wondering if uh, this facility for up to 150 million over 10 years is sufficient for the growth of the program that may be necessitated by the changes in the, um, you know, what we have in terms of PG&E and everyone else in, in the fast-changing market. So, um, Supervisor, thank you for that question. Uh, currently, the facility is sized at 20 million. So this this is simply the authorization for the for the general manager to enter into such agreements, recognizing that the actual need for credit facilities may change over that 10-year period and might change fast enough to uh, make coming through a full process for authorization each time 
uh, very cumbersome. So that's why we have asked for 150 million. We do intend to restore this back to $75 million, which is where it had been, based on what we understand the CPUC may require. Thank you. And uh, with that, let's go to public comment on this item. Yes, now's the opportunity for the public if they so choose to approach the lectern and provide comment on this item. Madam Chair, we have no speakers. Seeing no public comments, public comment is now closed. Colleagues, I would like to move this item. Uh, had asked us actually to contain, uh, 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 sorry, let's move this item to full board with recommendation and with that a roll call, please. And on that motion to forward uh, to the full board with a positive recommendation, Vice Chair Mandelman. Mandelman, aye. Member Melgar. Melgar, aye. Chair Chan. Aye. Chan, aye. We have three ayes. Thank you, and the motion passes. Um, Sir Clerk, please call item number three. Item number three is a resolution authorizing the Office of Contract Administration to execute modification number three to a contract between the city and county and Alameda Electrical Distributors, Inc. for the purchase of electrical material supplies and fixtures for city departments, increasing the contract amount by 600000 for a total contract amount not to exceed $10.5 million with no change to the total contract duration of May 1, 2018 through April 30, 2024. Madam Chair. Thank you. I understand that the department um, has requested that we continue this item, and uh, the, the Office of Sitting uh, Contract Administration has requested for continuance to January 31st. So let's go to public comment for the continuance of this item. Yes, we invite members of the public to approach the lectern if they wish to comment on the continuance of this item number three. Madam Chair, we have no speakers. Seeing no public comments, public comment is now closed, and we'd like to. Um, make the motion to move this item and co to continue to January 31st. And with that, a roll call, please. And on the motion to continue this resolution to the January 31st meeting of this committee, Vice Chair Mandelman. Mandelman, aye. Member Melgar. Melgar, aye. Chair Chan. Aye. Chan, aye. We have three ayes. Thank you, and the motion passes. And Mr. Kurt, please call item number four and five together. Yes, items four and five are resolutions retroactively authorizing the Department of Public Health to do the following. Item four is to enter into a grant agreement for a term commencing on execution of the grant agreement through June 30th, 2027 between the city and county and advocates for human potential, Inc., having anticipated revenue to the city of approximately $6.7 million for construction at uh, 822 Geary Street, first floor, including a permitted and restricted use authorizing the grantor to apply for a receiver in the, event, uh, in the event of the city's default and authorizing the DPH to enter into amendments or modifications to the grant agreement that do not materially increase the obligations or liabilities of the city and are necessary to effectuate the purpose of the grant. And item number five is to accept and expand a grant increase in the amount of approximately 282000 for a total amount of approximately $4 million from the California Department of Public Health for participation in the program entitled California Tobacco Prevention Program for the period of July 1st, 2023 through June 30th, 2024. Madam Chair. Thank you, and we have Department of Public Health here for both items. Thank you. Good morning, uh, Chair Chan, Vice Chair Mandelman, Supervisor Melgar, thanks for hearing this item. I'm here to speak to the agreement with Advocates for Human Potential, uh, Drew Morrell, Controller at the Department of Public Health. Um, grant agreement 
here with AHP is part of funding from the state, uh, sorry. <laughs> Thank you, we have slides too. Uh, from the state behavioral health continuum infrastructure program, BCHIP. Um, the funder ultimately is the California Department of Healthcare Services using coronavirus funds. Um, in November, we received, uh, November of 2022, we received an award from this program, not to exceed amount of 6.8 million that was appropriated as part of last year's budget process. Um, here today, because the uh, California Department of Human Care Services included non-standard terms in the grant agreement. And so specifically, we're here to seek your approval to accept those terms um, on the grant that's already been accepted. The, the funding is for um, the BCHIP infrastructure program to prepare the building at 822 Geary for a crisis stabilization unit uh, intended to provide medical care and staffed with medical providers. Um, the unit will be des designated as a state-licensed 24-7 medical facility providing psychiatric and substance use services, urgent care services. 16 total beds, which add to the city's existing 2,550 residential care beds. Ambulances and city street teams will have the site available for drop-off at the, at the crisis stabilization unit. And once occupied, we'll uh, may regularly maintain the space and be good neighbors for nearby residents. Specific to the agreement, uh, the non-standard terms that we seek your approval on um, include one, entering into the agreement for 6.8 million, uh, agreeing to record a declaration of restrictions specific to the first floor of 822 Geary that are consistent with the terms of the funding. Second, there will be an obligation for the city to defend, indemnify, and hold DHCS harmless. And last, provide authorization for the state to apply for a receiver in the case of city default. These are all the non-standard terms that require board approval for accepting. Um, we are seeking this as a retroactive approval. Um, stated, as I mentioned, we received the award letter in November of 2022, um, and uh, the award agreement template a few days later. Uh, grant funds were processed and accepted and expended in last year's budget. And then the non-standard negotiate, the negotiations around the non-standard terms in the agreement carried on through the course until now. Um, in closing, we respectively request your approval to retroactively accept this and happy to answer any questions on the AHP item four. Vice Chair Mendelman. Um, I want to just say this has been a long time coming. I think we've been talking about this facility for the entirety of the time that I've been on the Board of Supervisors. It has been much needed to provide relief uh, for SF General, um, and so I'm glad to see it moving forward. Thank you. Thank you. I don't see any other questions on item four. Let's go to item five presentation. Thank you. Good morning, supervisors. My name is Nicole Trainer. I'm with the Community Health Equity and Promotion Branch with DPH, and I'm here to represent the new grant fundings for the tobacco-free program that were um, administered by the California Department of Public Health. I mean, the California Department um, of Public Health. Okay. So I'll start off with some of the goals of this particular program. 
<laughs> Just give you an overview of the program. The goals of the San Francisco Tobacco Free Project are to reduce tobacco use in San Francisco by working across all levels of the spectrum of prevention on a, a, um, a variety of issues. And some of those issues are limiting tobacco access and advertising, um, providing community education and quitting programs, establishing health, um, healthy alternatives to tobacco, and implementing policies that protect our community from um, secondhand smoke. At the individual level, our tobacco-free project teams um, implement stop smoking sensation classes. They provide direct tobacco prevention education at community events and through social marketing. Um, our team also trains primary and behavioral health service providers on how to support individuals who use tobacco that are currently enrolled in substance use treatment programs. The Tobacco-Free Project is the backbone support of our San Francisco Community Tobacco-Free Coalition by providing funding opportunities to youth-serving organizations through our Community Action um, Model CAM. This allows young and um, youth and young adults to learn how to conduct and analyze their own research, learn more about the functions of local government, and participate in community organizing activities. These funds also allow some of the youth and young adults to become public health champions. The California Tobacco Prevention Program has instructed um, many of the local jurisdictions on how the additional funds may be used with the focus on um, supporting the implementation of the statewide flavored tobacco sales restriction policy, which is SB 793 and Prop 31. The funding requires um, the local jurisdictions with these funds to either add one or more new activities or they're required to increase the volume of some of their current um, program activities. So the additional funds received by the Tobacco Free Project, they are an anticipated Proposition 56 tobacco sales tax revenue that is distributed again by the California Department of Public Health um, within their Tobacco Free Prevention Program. The Proposition 56 tax revenue funds um, healthcare programs, including Medi-Cal services, as well as tobacco um, use prevention and education programs within school districts. That also includes the San Francisco Unified School District and county departments. San Francisco um, was one of the several California counties that received a Prop 56 funding adjustment this fiscal year, and these fundings were allocated based on the current legislative formula. So um, initially we were um, awarded an additional um, $281,965 to expand our services. During the fiscal year 23-24, um, our program staff plan to provide additional tobacco sensation services. These will occur at the Southeast Health Center and um, Richmond Finds People's Clinic here in San Francisco. We also plan to expand partnerships with our small businesses who are currently impacted by the flavored tobacco policy. And in addition, we plan to release some mini grants to communities um, they're called community engagement grants to support tobacco prevention education, again, additional tobacco sensation program referrals, and increased community members' participation in our program um, activities. 
So CHEP system of care um, humbly requests retroactive um, authorization of these additional funds to allocate to this grant. The item is rec retroactive due to DPH receiving the notice of award from CDPH in August, on August 3rd of 2023 with the project start date of July 1st of 2023. And the project start date is, um, is um, predetermined by the grantor. And so thank you for your time and consideration and I'll open it up for any questions you have about the program. Thank you. Um, it's interesting. Uh, I, I see that here that there is a uh, senior health educator um, yes. to be to be part of this, and and um, I'm just uh, love to learn a little bit more about um, about that. Um, not not this moment, and and just uh, in a separate conversation, um, the senior health educator, um, and just to see and learn more about. I think for me, uh, oftentimes what I see is um, Chinese seniors as well as Asian seniors in general um, do, do, do still have that uh, deep-rooted like smoking habits and tobacco Absolutely. habits and mm -hmm. just kind of curious to see um, how our senior health educator uh, are assuming that's what, what it is, um, uh, the outreach with seniors and elders, but, or maybe it's just the seniority as a position. Interesting. Okay. I could answer that question now. I think sorry, I think what I'm hearing is so the senior health educator classification or certification um, doesn't imply that this individual is reaching out to seniors. seniors. It is a higher level classification. We have health education assistant, a health educator, and a senior health educator in those um, series. So a senior health educator essentially could program manage several of our community wellness and our sexual and drug user health services. So it's, it, it really is nestled in program management, design, and implementation Interesting. around Thank our you. various populations. Thank you so much. Thank you. Sometimes I'm like just reading these documents and just trying to understand them. Absolutely. Um, with that said, then um, just kind of curious, curious about um, multilingual outreach materials, especially mm -hmm. with these mini grants that go into small businesses. Um, again, I think that there are, there are some that are, I can see, sell more tobaccos than the others in different mm -hmm. neighborhoods and different pockets of neighborhoods. Um, could you actually walk us through just a little bit more about the mini grant and how do you anticipate um, specifically reaching out to monolinguals and immigrants, both small businesses and individuals? Absolutely. Within our CHEP Community Wellness Program, we have an extremely diverse staff, and currently how we issue our mini-grants is through our program administrator, um, which allows us to um, get to um, fund agencies who don't necessarily have the fiscal capacity to go through a city department RFP process. And so within these mini-grants, we also hold um, smaller um, conferences with our program administrator that gives additional information on how to apply for the grants. We also provide direct technical assistance for smaller programs who haven't um, gone through the process. Um, within these mini grants, we are thinking about language capacity. As of now, we grants are not necessarily issued in different language um, and multilingual languages, but we do have staff that can help um, some of the smaller agencies throughout the process of a course from a neutral standpoint because it has to be a, um, 
a slightly competitive process for those grants. But prior to that, we ensure that we're reaching out to all of our partners so they, they are aware that this money is available. In addition, this process is not as rigorous as an RFP process. It's really low threshold. Um, and so when they apply for these grants, it's simply one-page responses as opposed to some of the RFP process that are um, required by the city. So those are just some examples of how um, we, we, we reach out to smaller organizations for these funds. Great, thank you. Mm -hmm. And my last question, just again, yes. I'm just reading the documents and trying to have a better understanding of what, what this is. Um, he, here it also mentioned about um, youth internship uh, for outreach. Um, just wanted to understand the age for the youth internship. Typically, our youth internships are from 12 to 24. That's how we classify our youth, yes. Good to know. Thank you. Thank you. Supervisor Malgar. Uh, uh, Chair Chan, I'm familiar with this uh, project because Jamestown participated in it. Um, oh, and, uh, you know, it was really great. Um, it, not just in teaching and, you know, having kids discuss uh, tobacco and the health impact, but also um, about the social uh, justice and racial justice aspects of substance abuse um, and, you know, tobacco specifically uh, in a cultural context. Um, so I, I think it's really great. And, you know, kudos to you for the work that you do. Thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate that. And kudos to my team is here who actually implement the, the senior health educators who <laughs> implement the work here. They're, they're, they're the... Um, they're the brains behind all of this, so thank you. <laughs> thank you. Um, with that, uh, let's go to public comments on both items four and five. Thank you. Yes, uh, we now invite members of the public who joined us today who wish to comment on either or both items four and five. Madam Chair, we have no speakers. Thank you. Seeing no public comments, public comment is now closed. Colleagues, I would like to move these two items to full board with recommendation, and with that, a roll call, please. And on a motion to forward both these resolutions to the full board with a positive recommendation, Vice Chair Mandelman. Mandelman, aye. Member Melgar. Melgar, aye. Chair Chan. Aye. Chan, aye. We have three ayes. Thank you. And the motion passes. Sure, Clerk, please call item number six. Item number six is a resolution approving a declaration of restrictions uh, with the ARE San Francisco number 15 owner LLC uh, to establish a no-build zone on a portion of property owned by the city and county adjacent to the owner's property at 1450 Owen Street, intended for future public park uses, providing for annual payments in the initial amount of 72,000 with 3% annual increases to the city from owner in exchange for such restrictions for a term uh, effective on January 1st, 2024, through in perpetuity unless terminated by the city as defined in the declaration of restrictions and authorizing the director of property to execute any amendments make certain modifications and take certain actions that do not materially increase the obligations or liabilities to the city, uh, do not materially decrease the benefits to the city and are necessary or advisable to effectuate the purposes of the declaration of restrictions or this resolution. Madam Chair. Thank you, Andrico Penick, our Director, um, Real Estate Division. It's good to see you. Thanks for being here. Uh, thank you, uh, Chair Chan. Good seeing you. Uh, good morning, Chair Chan. Supervisor Mandelman, uh, Supervisor Melgar, and Draco Penick, Director of Real Estate. I'm here before you this morning seeking your positive recommendation on a resolution to establish a declaration of restrictions, establishing a no-build zone on property soon to be owned by the city adjacent to 1450 Owen Street. Um, I do have a slide presentation. 
here we are. Oh, let me put that in slide mode. Basically, um, 1450 Owens is a project that was entitled by OCII and the planning department to construct a seven-story life science building. The project will be built uh, right up against the property line. As a result, uh, the developer needs a no-build easement on the adjacent property, soon to be owned by the city, in order to provide um, fire and emergency service access. Uh, the easement would be 24 feet wide. Um, it would be a no-build area. I apologize a little bit for the quality of the picture. It didn't translate as well in the PowerPoint, but this is a rendering of the 1450 Owens building, and you can see the dotted white outline that would basically show the no-build area. The uh, adjacent property, as I said, is currently owned by OCII, it will be transferred to the city uh, under the jurisdiction of Reckon Park. It is scheduled to be a park. So basically what we're talking about is maintaining an open, uh, a no-build area, or in this case, a grass area in an existing park. Since the city had no plans to build in this area, uh, it is beneficial to both the developer uh, and the city. The terms of the agreement as I said before, is that the no-build area would be 24 feet wide. It would be the length of the parcel, which is approximately 247 feet. Uh, it requires the developer, which is ARE, to make annual payments to the city of $72,000 per year, increasing by 3%. ARE is also required to maintain the no-build area uh, suitable for emergency vehicle access. Uh, the no-build easement would remain in effect until the adjacent building is demolished and the easement is no longer required or if the developer were to fail to meet its obligations for payment. I have with me Ian Snow, the Vice President of the Real Estate Division for the developer, and I'm also available to answer any questions you may have. Thank you. Thank you. So we, we're basically saying that we're keeping this as a no-build, and then eventually we wanted to turn it into a park, um, and we're leasing it to this developer. Um, and, and so do we have, beyond what we have now um, as an initial uh, annual payments, are there any specific plans about building this out as a park? Uh, yes, um, this is in Mission Bay, which is a planned development. It's a redevelopment project area. Um, the parcel P7 is designated as a park. Um, it is already entitled as such. Uh, those plans are already um, approved. So we know that this uh, will be a park. Um, the developer for Mission Bay is required to uh, build out the park. Got it. So, so basically, they are responsible to build out as they are responsible to both fund it and to build it. Um, I, my last statement wasn't very clear. There are two developers involved. Mm -hmm. The developer ARE for 1455 Owens is required to maintain only the no-build easement. The Mission Bay developer is required to build a park 
and then turn it over to OCII, which will turn it over to the city. So parcel P7, the adjacent parcel, which will be the subject of the no-build easement, will be a park built by the Mission Bay developer and then run by uh, Rec and Park once it's transferred. Which I think previously this body has approved that Mission Bay. Yeah, um, and th that transfer is imminent. Thank you. Uh, thank you for the clarification. And with that, I don't see any name on roster. Let's go to public comments on this item. Yes, uh, any members of the public who have joined us today uh, who wish to speak uh, on this item six, uh, now is your opportunity to approach the lectern and provide public comment. Madam Chair, we have no speakers. Seeing no public comments, public comment is now closed. And with that, colleagues, I would like to move this item to full board with recommendation and with that, a roll call, please. And on the motion to forward with a positive recommendation, Vice Chair Mandelman. Mandelman, aye. Member Melgar. Melgar, aye. Chair Chan. Aye. Chan, aye. We have three ayes. The motion passes. Mr. Clerk, please call item number seven. Item number seven is a resolution authorizing the sheriff's department, oh, sorry, the sheriff's office to enter into a fourth amendment to a contract with the San Francisco pretrial diversion project for pretrial services, increasing the contract amount by approximately 499,000 for a total not to exceed amount of approximately 19.8 million, but no change to the term of three years from July 1st, 2021 through June 30th, 2024, with two one-year options to extend. Madam Chair. Thank you, Mr. Clerk. Colleagues, I would like to uh, just remind us that this one does have the budget and legislative analyst report. Um, so we will go to the department for presentation and it's actually good to see CFO Patrick Lung, now uh, formerly SF Police Department and now with the Sheriff's Office. Uh, it's good to see you and the floor is yours. Good morning, Chair Chan, Supervisor Mandelman, Supervisor Melgar, members of the public. My name is Patrick Leung. I'm the Chief Financial Officer for the Sheriff's Office. Um, today we are requesting the committee's recommendation for our amendment for, the pre, for our pretrial diversion contract. Uh, I do want to address one of the uh, issues identified by the BLA in, in that for the department, we have not conducted the site monitoring visit at this time. Um, we have had some transition internally. Uh, I've just joined the department within the last month. We also have another vacancy within the team. This is one of the things that I do intend to correct within the next couple of months um, to actually do the monitoring visit and to get us back into compliance. With respect to the amendment, uh, this amendment is to add additional funds to the contract and most of uh, the um, most of the change in budget is attributable to the cost of living adjustments for salary. Uh, and if there are any questions that the committee members have, I am joined by my colleagues, Ali Riker from our programs and also David uh, Moroff with pretrial. Uh, and we, we're here to answer any questions you may have. Thank you and we'll go to the BLA and uh no, I, I think they just wanted to clarify that, that there are a few recommendations from the BLA and just want to make sure that we're all on the same page. Morning, Supervisors. Nick Bernard from the BLA. Uh, item 7, this is a resolution that approves an amendment to the Sheriff's Office 
contract with the pretrial diversion project, the amendment increases the existing not to exceed amount by from 19.3 million to 19.8 million dollars. Um, there's no change in the term, which ends June 30th, 2024, um, and this funding is sufficient to get them through the rest of this fiscal year. Uh, any funding beyond that would likely require board approval because uh, it's not to exceed amount and it's based on funding through this fiscal year. Uh, as we do for any nonprofit provider, uh, we look at their financial health and we also look at the performance of, of their programming. In this case, pretrial diversion provides safety assessments for people who have been um, arrested, provides supervision for people released uh, awaiting trial. And it also provides diversion programming um, as required by the, you know, the courts. Um, this, there were a couple issues we noted in our review. Uh, one is that, so the city's contract with pretrial diversion requires an annual audited financial statement um, be provided within six months of the close of the fiscal year. The organization hasn't done one since June 2021. Um, in that statement, it shows the deteriorating financial health of the organization, a decrease of net assets of $700,000 to $400,000. And then in their, um, finan in their tax statement for 2022, it shows ongoing decreases in net income from $400,000 to $300,000, uh, which for that year, they had $9.3 million in expenses. So they're, basically their reserve is far less then the 60-day cash minimum you would that's kind of a best practice for nonprofits to have that's in fact what the controller's office recommends um, for the you know all city not all nonprofits that the city contracts with uh, and I know that there's been some turnover in the CFO position I'm not sure exactly the the timeline of that uh, but I do have concerns about the financial health of this organization that's delivering critical services uh, to the criminal justice involved population. Uh, on the program side, we did, uh, there's several reporting requirements required by the city's contract um, that we relied on to assess the program performance. Uh, and in general, it, the data reported by pretrial for calendar year 2023, I think in many ways looks like the program is working. Uh, there are two key performance metrics. One is the rate at which clients appear for their court dates, which is typically above 95%, um, and also the rate at which uh, they recidivate. In other words, do they commit a crime while under supervision or, or in a diversion program? And those rates tend to be also in the 90%. I think one statistic stuck, stuck out to me, which was that clients on the highest level of supervision, the, which is called assertive case management, have a lower appearance rate, which is closer to 80%. Um, and that also inf informs a recommendation we have about the sheriff's office coming back when they amend this contract, assuming that it goes forward beyond this fiscal year, uh, to develop a plan to improve those appearance rates. But I think it also suggests to me that you know, there's not, the sheriff's office itself doesn't do an annual program assessment, um, which is really kind of a best practice when you're working with uh, any sort of contractor. Um, and that performance assessment could assess, for example, whether the, the, the quality of the service, um, you know, is 
is high, right? Right now we only have outputs in terms of number of clients, number of appearances. We don't have a sense of what, what the quality of service is. And again, we don't have for some of these statistics that appear to deviate from, you know, from, from the higher levels, from the higher program performance rates we've seen um, in other areas of their program. Uh, we don't really have an explanation about why that's happening or how to improve it. So we have several recommendations. One is to request the sheriff's office and controller's office review this uh, organization to see if they would benefit from technical assistance to ensure that their financial condition and governance meet city guidance. Uh, second, to request the sheriff's office undertake an annual uh, program monitoring process for this contract and to ensure that it complies with all the terms of the contract and assess the program's performance. Uh, and related to that, request the sheriff develop a plan to improve appearance rates for clients in assertive case management. Um, we recommend approval of item seven. Thank you. Supervisor Malgar. Thank you, uh, Mr. Menard, and thank you to the Sheriff's Department for the presentation. Uh, this is really concerning uh, on both the uh, finance side and the program side. Um, so uh, on the finance side, I just also want to point out that uh, not having updated audits is also uh, not in compliance with the Secretary of State. So there's, you know, that further um, problem. So in, uh, I like all the recommendations uh, in the BLA report. I would go a little bit farther, actually, just between, because this contract is expiring and I want us to have, you know, a, a path forward that's um, responsible, just not as not just as budget committee, but also what we're trying to do in terms of the overall goal. Um, and that is, you know, uh, perhaps a cost-benefit analysis, you know, uh, from the sheriff's department. Some of these functions were once performed by staff at the sheriff's office. And, you know, there's lots of reasons to contract out this kind of work. Um, you know, one of the main ones is to allow for leverage of other resources, not just city resources, to be brought into the work. But this organization hasn't done that so much. There's not a lot being leveraged out, you know, in terms of private dollars outside of the uh, government funding. So, um, you know, in terms of what we get of, of the goals um, and the performance per dollar, you know, I do wonder if it wouldn't, we wouldn't be better off having that. Uh, those functions being performed by uh, sheriff staff um, as opposed to being contracted out. And it would be great to have a cost-benefit analysis of that and, you know, uh, the, the goals um, that we're trying to get. So those are my comments. Uh, thank you, Chair. Thank you. Vice Chair Mendelman. Uh, thank you, Chair Chan. I would, you know, echo and second those comments. Um, you know, I, I, I have very... Um, mixed feelings about this contract and a lot of uncertainty about it. I know we're just considering an amendment right now, but I think we're thinking about what's coming. Um, I mean, on the one hand, I think, you know, pretrial does some great work um, and uh, is, you know, a unique, uniquely San Franciscan approach um, uh, to trying to um, get folks who, you know, are, uh, have, uh, have been accused of committing a crime, the supports that they need to not recidivate. That's the goal. Um, I think, you know, we have probably been asking a lot more of this program over the last few years as we've been rethinking our, um, our approach to criminal justice generally. 
And I think there is a need for, you know, real analysis. Well, first of all, I mean, at a very basic level, the finance, you know, we, we need, and, and I, I, I look forward to the, to the Sheriff's Department being able to, um, you know, get their, uh, get their reporting um, up to date and ensure that they're doing the reporting and getting the audits that they should and have to do. But I think there's also, a, you know, some larger questions about program efficacy um, going back to uh, policy lab report from 2021 and, um, you know, there appears to be a real discrepancy between what they were seeing and finding and what is sort of hinted at here. And, you know, um, I, I don't know how that was resolved in 2020. I don't remember how we resolved that in 2021, 22, but I think as we think about um, continuing on, I think we need to think about, you know, are these are these numbers right? Are they capturing the things that we want to be um, looking at in terms of the effectiveness of this program, of these programs? Are we keeping San Franciscans safe? Are we using pretrial effectively? All of that stuff. And I think surely, um, you know, I, 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 like all other departments, I know the Sheriff's Department is resource constrained, and so it's hard to find the resources to look at these kinds of questions, but I think it's a citywide priority, and I think in terms of, you know, what, what the mayor's office should be looking at, what the controller should be looking at, what this board should be looking at, I think we need to um, make sure that there are the resources to actually be evaluating program efficacy. So um, I, I think there are, I do, I I do have some concerns. Um, my inclination would, be, it would either be to vote this out without recommendation or um, to, uh, you know, vote it out with recommendation but continue to think about these things over the next week and reserving my rights to change my position on it. I, I'm definitely inclined I, 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 to vote it out without, recommend, rec, without recommendation. I think that this that's been the consistency. Um, in this in this committee, that when there are things, doesn't matter which department, what program they are, when they actually have question, when we actually have questions specifically about uh, delivery and results, and really also uh, cost benefits, um, we oftentimes vote anything out uh, with, out of this um, committee if necessary because of constraint of time. Oftentimes, without recommendation, I am definitely inclined to do so today. I, I think that I want to make clear, um, not just on this contract, and and I think I was maybe not as definite. I'm so I'm going to uh, reiterate what I said last week when we had um, the mayor's office and the controller uh, before us last week about the projection of 1.3 billion dollars deficits, and I and I have uh, tasked the budget and legislative analyst office. Um, it is time, and I had this conversation with um, our controller uh, to be um, uh, Greg Wagner, very specifically that you know both uh, all contracts, city contract at this moment with the deficits that we face has. Uh, it's in the in the fork road. One is if they're not performing, and we don't know what they do, and that it's costing us, that we need to consider uh, the potential or termination of those contract, and that how do we ramp those contract down uh, by you know either in, within this fiscal year or however way we ramp them down, and and and, and the end goal is to um, end with a termination. 
And if there are contracts that we do see um, that their results and their performances and their deliveries that actually meet our goals, but we see that they're falling short for a specific reason, like uh, requirement of capacity building. Uh, we need to acquire more information uh, in order for us to make that decision, and that it's not the intention of the city departments to terminate the contract because they see values or they have seen um, previous uh, results and and for whatever reason during the pandemic now they fall short then we can actually go into a space where how do we build up capacity either scale up or scale down to make sure that we deliver the results with the dollar that we're spending so i'm going to reiterate that for all contracts and that's including the pre-trial diversion project before us today um you know i think that um CFO Patrick Lang has mentioned that it is uh, the sheriff's office intention in the next few months that you're going to get this, um, all these recommendations. You're going to have responses for all these recommendations. Um, I look forward to seeing that. Um, this uh, amendment of contract is only going to last us till June 2024, uh, which is the, the end of this fiscal year. Um, and I, from what I understand, and the BLA can confirm that it did, or, or maybe the sheriff's office can confirm Firm, this contract actually did go out for bid, and that pretrial diversion project is the only respondent. Th that was correct. Uh, there was an RFP in 2020, and uh, pretrial was the, I believe, the only. Respondent. So that was 2020 when we did the uh, bid. Uh, I believe it was 2020. I have the RFP in my. Yeah. I think so too. I, and so I think um, let's uh, let's have this conversation um, about um, going referring back to the bit in 2020 um, and how, how in the last two fiscal years how, how how do we make sure that that the the project itself does. Uh, answer to the bid requirement, the contract requirement. Um, so I look forward to seeing that. Uh, with that, let's go to public comments on this item. Yes, members of the public who have joined us today who wish to comment on this item number seven. Uh, now's your opportunity to approach the electorate and uh, address this committee. Madam Chair, we have no speakers. Seeing no public comments, public comment is now closed. Um, colleagues, I would like to move this item with our recommendation to full board. And with that, a roll call, please. Actually, before oh, the vote, we need to accept all the recommendation, or do? Or uh, yes. Oh, yeah. Actually, that's that's what I was going to ask, Madam Chair. Uh, uh, whether uh, well, I was going to annotate uh, through the conversation that the uh, that this committee is accepting the the Rec requests, or, or this committee is requesting the sheriff's department to perform the uh, the task as offered by the BLA. Uh, but I did want to ask if we wanted to add uh, Member Melgar's um, request for the cost benefit analysis to that. Uh, I see that uh, Mr. Menard nodding, which means that we could and we can, and then uh, also seeing the nodding from CFO Patrick Lung, so I see that we have an agreement to include that cost-benefit analysis, and so with that, I would like to accept and request, uh, accept the recommendation provided by BLA, um, and with that, we would like to move this item to full board without recommendation. Yes, and on that motion, uh, Vice Chair Mandelman. Aye. Mandelman, aye. Member Melgar. Melgar, aye. Chair Chan. Aye. Chan, aye. We have three ayes. Thank you. The motion passes. And with that, Mr. Clerk, please call item number eight. Yes, that, item number eight 
is a resolution authorizing the Port Commission to accept and expand a grant in the amount of approximately $9.6 million from the United States Department of Transportation Maritime Administration Port Infrastructure Development Program to fund the Amador Street Infrastructure Improvement Project from March 1st, 2024 through February 28th, 2027 and authorizing the Port Executive Director to enter into modifications to the grant agreement that do not materially increase the obligations or liabilities to the city and are necessary to effectuate the purposes of the grant agreement or this, or this resolution. Madam Chair. Thank you. And today we have Boris Delapine uh, from SF Port, and this one also had the budget and legislative analyst report. Thank you. Good morning, Supervisors. Boris Elipine, Legislative Affairs Manager for the Port of San Francisco. As the clerk mentioned, the item before you is a resolution to authorize the port to accept and expend $9.6 million from the Federal Maritime Administration to support the Amador Street Improvement Project. Amador Street is a 1.4-mile roadway within our maritime eco-industrial complex. Um, it is it, Amador Street and its associated utilities are well beyond their useful design life and are in poor condition. Um, as a result, the area is subject to um, periodic closure due to storm flooding. In 2022, we applied and won a port infrastructure development grant valued at $9.6 million. Our original grant application included a 25% port match. In 2023, we won a $21.5 million grant um, from the CalSTA um, state agency for our maritime facilities. Uh, and that uh, award includes $2.5 million to cover a portion of our matching funds. Uh, we'll be bringing that accept and expend resolution to you next month. After both grant awards are applied, the port will contribute $640,000 of the total $12.8 million project. The uh, Amador Street is, is the gateway to our maritime eco-industrial complex, and the, the roadway is in dire need of repair. The proposed improvements include reconstruction of the roadway, replacement of the existing pump station, replacement of the sewer system, removal of abandoned railroad tracks and ties, along with new landscaping improvements. If you uh, approve this resolution, today we'll work to advertise bids next month with the goal of beginning construction in August and final completion in summer 2026. I'm joined by our project manager, Noel Aquino. We uh, are both available to answer any questions you have. Thank you for your time and we respectfully request your approval. Item eight is a resolution that authorizes the port to accept and expend a $9.6 million grant from the U.S. Department of Transportation uh, we detail the use of funds on page 12 of our report, which show that this grant will be applied to the Amador Street project that was just described by the port. There is a matching fund requirement uh, to accept this grant, which is why we're reporting on it today, that uh, the matching fund requirement, or the remaining cost of the project, is $3.2 million. The bulk of that $2.6 million will be met by um, another grant from the state that the port has obtained with the balance of about $640,000 being paid for by the Harbor Fund. We recommend approval of item eight. Thank you. It's always good to have uh, money that is uh, from outside the city to be able to do some infrastructure improvement, which I appreciate. And I don't see any questions on, I don't see any name on the roster and let's go to public comment. Thank you, Madam Chair. Members of the public who joined us uh, today and wish to speak on this item. Now is your opportunity to approach the lecture and address this committee. 
Madam Chair, we have no speakers. Seeing no public comments, public comment is now closed. Colleagues, I would like to move this item to full board with recommendation, and with that, a roll call, please. And on this motion to forward to the full board with a uh, positive recommendation, Vice Chair Mandelman. Aye. Mandelman, aye. Member Melgar. Melgar, aye. Chair Chan. Aye. Chan, aye. We have three ayes. Thank you, and the motion passes. Mr. Clerk, please call item number nine. Item nine is a resolution approving and authorizing the execution of a First Amendment to the amended and restated loan agreement with San Cristina LP, a California limited partnership, uh, to increase the loan amount by approximately $2 million for a new aggregate loan amount not to exceed approximately $12.8 million to finance additional rehabilitation costs related to a 100% affordable 58-unit multifamily rental housing development for a very low-income formerly homeless households located at 1000 Market Street and the mayor and the director of mayor's office of housing and community development to execute documents make certain modifications take certain actions in furtherance of this resolution as defined therein madam chair thank you and we have uh mayor's office of housing and community development here hi thank you so much uh, supervisor chan and supervisor mandelman and supervisor melgar uh, my name is william wilcox i'm the bond program manager at the mayor's office of housing and community development and i'm also the project manager for the san christina um, and this request is authorizing an additional increase to the loan of $1.9 million for a new aggregate loan amount not to exceed $12.7 million. Um, and these are related to the rehabilitation of a 58-unit uh, multifamily rental housing development for very low-income, uh, formerly homeless households located at 1000 Market Street, just down the street. Um, this building was originally built in 1913, and also uh, scenes from the film Interview with a Vampire were also filmed inside the building. Um, in 19, it was a commercial building for many years, and in 1991, HomeRise, formerly known as the Community Housing Partnership, purchased the building with funds from the city. Uh, and then in 2017, we started a sort of full-scale redevelopment to complete and update a lot of work that had been put off for many years, and, uh, including in the original uh, acquisition and conversion. Um, in 2019 to 2022, we obtained financing commitments, um, largely from the California Department of Housing and Community Development, who are providing over $30 million in funds towards this. And MoCD's commitment is a much smaller amount uh, that includes both a permanent mortgage that is actually like the actual permanent debt, as if it would be from a bank, but from our subsidized pass loan program, and then this additional uh, bit of funds. Uh, the construction started in 2022, all of the tenants are back in, all the major work inside um, is complete. Uh, we are just now seeking some additional funds to address some issues that came up towards the very end of construction, largely related to the cornice that runs along the top of the building, um, as well as some other sort of construction loan interest and insurance increases that are sort of endemic across the industry. Um, the project has 58 single-room occupancy units for formerly homeless adults. HomeRise also provides on-site services. All the units are restricted at 50% of the area median income or very low income. They all have project-based Section 8, so tenants only pay 30% of their income. The building also includes two commercial spaces. One is HomeRise office space, and the other is uh, we're working to lease it to a restaurant, hopefully, um, and that is also in process at this time. And the scope was quite large on this. They redid the plumbing, the electrical system, the HVAC. A, there were upgrades to all of the units, including adding sinks to each of the units, upgrades to the shared bathrooms, and improvements to the common areas, services, and office space. 
Um, as I mentioned, we are providing a pass loan that was already committed up front. Um, this additional 1.9 million in community de development block grant funding. Uh, they also received money from the Federal Home Loan Bank's Affordable Housing Program, and then an award for, of HCD's Accelerator Program and HCD's Multifamily Housing Program. Uh, and work is ongoing at the property. As you can see from the presentation, the cornice uh, at the top of the building has significant issues, but these were covered by a combination of paint and duct tape that were holding it together. So some initial amount of money was put aside for this, but until work started, there was no real way to know the extent of the damage and challenges as because the building is 100 years old and because it is in the market historic um, theater district, yes, I think that's it. Uh, and it, we have to replace it to the sort of standards set by the planning department. So if you see the little decorative pieces, we have to have all of those fabricated from fiberglass. We've tried to reduce the amount of spending to replace some parts with sheet metal as much as works with the planning department's approval. Um, but uh, the contractor and the developer have uh, continued this work because we want to get it done and save the city more money to not have additional interest loan, uh, construction loan interest carry. Um, so we're hoping to finish all completion in May um, and close out the loans in July with this additional funds to come in. Um, and uh, we have multiple representatives from the developer, Rick Lombardi, their chief financial officer, and then the project manager, uh, Alice Salinas, uh, is also here to answer additional questions and happy to discuss any questions as well. Item nine, this is a resolution that approves an amendment to an MOHCD loan with San Cristina LP, which is a home rise. Um, it increases the existing loan from $8.7 million to um, $12.8 million. Uh, and this is to pay for ongoing work to rehabilitate the site, as was just described by the department. The bulk of this additional funding, which is funded by federal community development block grant funds, um, is to pay for um, a custom-built re replacement cornice for the roof. Uh, that uh, those costs are unavoidable because the building is in a historic district. And while there is a process to obtain a waiver um, from the Historic Preservation Commission, um, the work is ongoing. And so the department's proceeding with the restoration of the cornice. Um, so I think this makes sense in terms of approving this uh, loan increase, but I do think it raises, um, for me, a, a policy issue about whether the board could consider amending the planning code to exempt affordable housing projects from architectural requirements and historical districts to save money on these kind of costs going forward. We recommend approval of item nine. Thank you. I don't see any name on roster. We appreciate the work. Oh, I, I guess no, I, I, we don't have any questions. Thank you, and uh, let's go to public comments on this item. Uh, yes, we invite members of the public who wish to speak on this item uh, to address the committee uh, uh, to approach the lectern. Madam Chair, we have no speakers. Seeing no public comments, public comment is now closed. Colleagues, it's uh, interesting of um, 58 residential SRO units uh, in a historic district. Um, it's costly, but it must be done. And with that, I would like to move this item to full board with recommendation. And uh, with that, uh, roll call, please. 
And on that motion to forward to the full board with a positive recommendation, Vice Chair Mandelman. Aye. Mandelman, aye. Member Melgar. Melgar, aye. Chair Chan. Aye. Chan, aye. We have three ayes. Thank you, and the motion passes. And Mr. Clerk, please call the next item, which is item 10. And wait, sorry, uh, item 10 through 12 uh, together. Yes, Madam Chair. Uh, items 10 and 11 are resolutions authorizing the Mayor's Office of Housing and Community Development to execute the standard agreements with the California Department of Housing and Community <coughs> Development, or HCD. Uh, item number 10 is under the infill infrastructure grant program for a total award of approximately $8 million dispersed by HCD has a grant to the city for infrastructure improvements related to property located at 850 Turk Street and 750 Golden Gate Avenue, selected by the state of California for 100% affordable housing projects for the period starting on the execution date of the standard agreement to June 30th, 2020. 2030 and as amended uh, item number 11 is under the affordable housing and sustainable communities program for a total award of approximately 32 million including 22 million dispersed by hcd has a loan to the mp turk street associates lp for a 100 percent affordable housing project at 850 turk street and approximately 10 million to be dispersed as a grant to the city for public transportation improvements near 850 turk street for the period starting on the execution date of the standard agreements to November 30th, 2043, and authorizing MoCD to accept and expand the grant of up to approximately $10 million for transportation, streetscape, and pedestrian improvements, and other transit-oriented programming and improvement as approved by HCD. Item number 12 is a resolution supporting Midpen Housing Corporation submission of an application under the Excess Sites Local Government Matching Grants Program to the HCD to receive program funds in order to develop and construct an affordable 75-unit multifamily rental housing development affordable to low-income households, including one resident manager unit as phase one on a state-owned excess uh, site located at 750 Golden Gate Avenue, and supporting the applicant to submit the project budget and anticipated committed project resource, uh, sources to be included in their application. Madam Chair. Thank you, and today again we have Mayor's Office of Housing and Community Development here, thank you. Hi, thank you, Chair Chan, Supervisors Mandelman and Melgar. My name is Ryan Van Island, Senior Project Manager at the Mayor's Office of Housing and Community Development, or MOCD. I'm here to present on items 10, 11, and 12 for affordable housing developments located at 750 Golden Gate Avenue and 850 Turk Street. All three resolutions relate to state funding for the state-designated sites for affordable housing developed by Midpen Housing. In 2019, Governor Newsom directed state agencies to identify parcels for excess state lands to be developed into affordable housing. In 2021, after responding to a state-issued RFP, Midpen Housing was awarded rights to develop 100% affordable housing on two state excess sites in San Francisco, located at 850 Turk Street and 750 Golden Gate Avenue in the Hayes Valley Western Edition neighborhood. Both sites are currently used as parking lots for employees of the State Employment Development Department, or EDD. They will eventually be developed into three housing developments, totaling roughly 260 new affordable units. However, the resolutions before you today are for the first two projects, 850 Turk Street and 750 Golden Gate Avenue, Phase 1. The third housing development will start pre-development work once more sources of funding are identified. 
To fill the gap needed to develop 850 Turk and 750 Golden Gate Avenue Phase 1, MidPen applied for funding from three state programs through the California Department of Housing and Community Development, or HCD. Item number 10 is an accept and expend resolution authorizing MoCD to execute an agreement with HCD under the Infill Infrastructure Grant Program for an award roughly $8.1 million. The projects were awarded these funds in February 2023 and will be used for infrastructure improvements for both 750 Golden Gate and 850 Turk. Item number 11 authorizes MoCD to execute an agreement with HCD under the Affordable Housing and Sustainable Communities Program to award roughly $32 million in housing funding and nearby transportation improvements for 850 Turk. And finally, item number 12 is a resolution supporting 750 Golden Gate Phase 1's application to HCD's local government matching grant program, which will provide $10 million in funding for the development. A little bit more about these projects specifically, 850 Turk will be a 92-unit, 100% affordable housing project with household incomes ranging from 40 to 80% area median income. It will have 28 studios, 16 one-bedrooms, 21 two-bedrooms, and 27 three-bedrooms. The project is proposed to be fully funded with state grants, loans, tax credits, and tax-exempt bonds with no direct funding from the city. 750 Golden Gate Phase 1 will provide 75 units of new housing for San Francisco Unified School District and San Francisco Community College District employees. 44 units will be reserved for paraeducators and district staff earning 40 to 90% of the area median income, and 30 units reserved to teachers earning up to 140% area median income. It will have seven studios, 33 one-bedrooms, 21 two-bedrooms, and 14 three-bedrooms. 750 Golden Gate is proposed to be funded with state grants, tax credits, tax-exempt bonds, and funding from MoCD's 2023 Educator NOFA for an award of up to $20 million. This project will come back to the Budget and Finance Committee later this year to review and approve the city loan before it starts construction. Both of these projects are scheduled to apply for housing tax credits in April and hope to start construction in December 2024 and January 2025. I'm also here today with Lisa Howlett from MidPen Housing. We're happy to answer any questions you may have. And thank you very much. Thank you. Okay, we don't, I guess, uh, I don't, my colleagues don't have questions. Um, I, I do have a, just for me, just to learn and understand the relationship and, and the NOFA, like the notification, how it goes out for bid um, between the mayor's office and uh, the State Department, um, State Department of Housing, trying to figure out, so how, how, how are the, um, how, how is MidPens actually selected to be the developer for these two projects again? Can you walk me through in greater details? Uh, sure, I could try. So in 2019, the governor uh, designated these two sites as state excess sites reserved for affordable housing. There was a separate NOFA from the state uh, Department of General Services, DGS. MidPen applied um, for that NOFA separately directly through the state. Um, and they were awarded in 2021. And so with that, that kind of started MoCD's involvement once they were awarded through the state. And we've been working with them for the 850 Turk project. Like I mentioned, there's no city funds. We're just using this infill infrastructure grant uh, for infrastructure improvements. But the 750 Golden Gate project does have most CD funds. So we are underwriting that to our guidelines, both projects to our guidelines. Um, 
So in terms of the state NOFAs, it's kind of on its own schedule. Um, and this specific one, the excess sites, is not common. The IIG and the ASIC grants are ones we see all the time. Um, the excess sites, I think, this was maybe the first iteration, if I'm not mistaken, second iteration. So still relatively new for MoCD in San Francisco. Yeah, so um, again, uh, just help me understand. So it, it, what it means that is really the state um, has acquired the sites, both in this case, these two sites directly on their own, and that they have awarded MIPPEN also directly to uh, develop the sites. But once that process went through, that is when the mayor's office of housing get involved. That's correct with one small um, edit. They, the state didn't acquire them. They, they had always owned the sites. So it's current parking lot for, for a state department, EDD, right now. Thank you. Mm -hmm. um, we don't have any, oh, Vice Chair Mendelman. These sound like great projects, and I'd like to be added to, as a co-sponsor for 10 through 12. Thank you. Thank you, and with that, uh, let's go to public comment for these I three items. Yes, we now invite members of the public who have joined us today who wish to comment on either or all of items 10, 11, or 12 to approach the lectern and address this committee. Madam Chair, we have no speakers. Seeing no public comments, public comment is now closed. Colleagues, I would like to move these three items to full board with recommendation and the roll call, please. And on that motion to forward uh, these resolutions to the full board with a positive recommendation, Vice Chair Mandelman. Mandelman, aye. Member Melgar. Melgar, aye. Chair Chan. Aye. Chan, aye. We have three ayes. Thank you, and the motion passes. Uh, Mr. Clark, please call item number uh, 13. Yes, item number 13 is an ordinance placing a total of approximately 48.4 million in various departments' budgets, uh, sorry, departments' budget appropriations specified in the mayor's fiscal year 2023 to 24 mid-year budget reduction plan on Board of Supervisors, Budget and Finance Committee Reserve in fiscal year 2023 to 24. Madam Chair. Thank you, um, colleagues. Uh, we uh, really negotiated in good faith with the mayor uh, and, and her team last budget cycle, uh, but clearly with the mid-year budget cut, uh, the cuts were um, really mainly are the board's uh, app-backs. Um, and so with this appropriation, it allow us to place the mid-year um, budget cuts um, which mainly are the board's APAC, allow us to place it on reserve so that we can continue the conversation. Um, it is true that, that the city is facing a critical um, phase, uh, in my opinion, about what we need to do uh, in terms of structural changes to tackle the deficits um, so that it doesn't continue to balloon to $1.3 billion in 2027. Um, I think that with, uh, Putting these, uh, putting forty-eight million dollars on reserve, allow us to continue that conversation um, this year, fiscal year, and then and beyond. Um, I, I don't see because of the mid-year budget cut. I don't see that is. Um, that we have finalized the budget, so to speak, uh, from from last fiscal year, and that we have. Uh, it's just been an ongoing conversation. Um, but we have a BLA report on this, um, so I just wanted to explain uh, my intention of why I'm putting um, this uh, $48 million a total um, on reserve, as a reserve for us to be able to continue to this conversation later. Thank you, Chair Chen. Item 13, this is an ordinance 
that places $48.4 million um, on about 30 department budgets uh, uh, in their general fund on, on budget and finance committee reserve for this fiscal year. Um, as you noted, Supervisor Chen, shortly after the budget was passed in October, the mayor requested departments uh, cut back on their general fund spending. There were $75 million of uh, changes identified. The bulk of that was $48.4 million in um, reductions in spending. And then um, the other chunk of that, about $26 million, was moving general fund spending to other revenues. And so what this ordinance does is essentially place those cuts that were issued by the mayor to the departments on committee reserves. So spending from those um, appropriations will now require approval of the mayor's office and this committee. Um, this is uh, an unusual budget action, and for that reason, we consider approval to be a policy matter for the board, but we're in an unusual budget year. Thank you. Uh, we are in an unusual budget year and times. Um, I don't see any name on the roster about this um, item, and so let's go to public comment. Yes, members of the public have joined us today. I wish to address this committee regarding item 13 on today's agenda. Now's your opportunity to approach the lectern. First speaker, please. Good morning. Um, my name is Marnie Regan. Um, I'm with Larkin Street Youth Services. I'm also co-chair of HESPA. And um, just wanted to say that HESPA really values our relationships with city departments. Um, there are a couple of cuts, proposed cuts from HSH uh, and OEWD um, that reflect really modest, very modest, meager asks from HESPA. Um, one is a $200,000 um, ask of HSH for, um, to fill gaps around Tay food security um, for unhoused and unstably housed young people who are still suffering under the cuts from uh, CalFresh and some of the local um, food programs. It's really modest ask, $200,000. Um, the other ask is for adult uh, earn and learn that the Homeless Workforce Collaborative really worked um, in tandem and in partnership with OEWD. That first part of that funding has been um, funded, and then the second year is on the cut list. That is only $400,000. Um, that combined $600,000 cut, compared to a $1.3 billion deficit, um, is like the, the, the um, juxtaposition of those is really staggering, and th those cuts won't do anything um, significant with the budget, but it will have um, a massive impact on youth who need food and adults who need sustainable wage jobs to stay out of homelessness. So I'm just asking um, for consideration around that, um, and we really look forward to working more with HSH and OED leadership to, to get these cuts um, restored. Thanks. Thank you, Marnie Regan, for addressing this committee. Next speaker, please. Good morning, my name is Lucia Obregón. I'm the director of the San Francisco Latino Parity and Equity Coalition. Um, we just wanna express that we are extremely concerned with the mid-year cuts um, and the proposed cuts as they disproportionately affect communities of color and working class individuals. These cuts threaten vital programs essential for community revitalization, health, and safety. 
the Latino community alone has been impacted by these cuts by receiving a $1.3 million cut affecting programs in technical assistance and support for small businesses, affecting organizations like Clecha, Calle 24, and MEDA, hospitality dislocated worker program affecting Mission Hiring Hall, cultural workshop um, affecting Day of the Dead uh, programming by the Marigold Project, the Hummingbird Farm by Poder, um, training initiatives and employment placements by the Latino Task Force. And in addition, we are further impacted and affected by these cuts by the proposed cuts in legacy business and programs, programs for street cleaning, reparations, food security, health services, and mental health services. All of these issues that are severely important and impact communities of color. Communities of color, like the Latino community, have been operating in a deficit before, during, and after COVID. And we cannot further endure reductions to these basic need programs. So I urge you to please um, restore um, these cuts. Thank you. Thank you much for addressing this committee. And before I start the timer on the next speaker, uh, friendly reminder if you weren't here for, our, uh, uh, for my general announcements, uh, we have opened up comment, uh, sorry, uh, comment cards again. So while absolutely not necessary to provide public comment, if you did want to fill out a comment card, uh, they're available right by the television next to the doors. Thank you much. Next speaker. Good morning, Supervisors. Charles Defarge, Director of Policy with ECS, Episcopal Community Services. I want to speak specifically to the adult workforce earn and learn cuts um, here. This has allowed us and other workforce providers to pilot flexible placements that don't rely on costly certification programs with many barriers to entry that exclude the populations we serve oftentimes. Um, this money fills gaps and allows client choice in accessing workforce opportunities, which is so crucial to their success. Um, we had one individual at one of our housing sites who really wanted to access training, but had barriers to more traditional programs. This flexible programming allowed her to work with a vocational counselor where she now has agency and say in her outcomes and has been successful in that program. We get so many calls like that from people who know exactly what they need to succeed um, and just don't have those opportunities. So this money really is creating those opportunities for this, um, this population. Um, also worth noting that given this is brand new, cutting it now won't allow us to expand and reach the full potential of this type of new programming. Um, so please do consider the outsized impact that these relatively small cuts have to our most vulnerable populations. Thank you. Thank you much, Charles DeFarge. Next speaker, please. Hi, good morning, Supervisors. Hope Kamer, Director of Policy at Compass Family Services and Chair of the HESPA Family Subcommittee. Um, I just wanted to reify what my colleague, Marnie Regan, shared. The HESPA family providers are very concerned about the relatively nominal, but in practice, very damaging cuts proposed under OED and HSH. Um, thank you for your attention and advocacy on behalf of working families. Thank you much, Hope Kamer. Next speaker. Good afternoon, Supervisors. It's Sarah Short. Um, I'm actually speaking for Housing Rights Committee, and uh, we are a member of the Budget Justice Coalition. And uh, the Budget Justice Coalition wanted me to represent that um, we still do have a rental housing crisis here in San Francisco. Um, we still do have families, working families, and poor families being evicted on the regular. Um, we have serious displacement, and we have people who are being made homeless uh, day after day. And it is uh, in 
incredibly important that we take care of the needs of those individuals before we start thinking about you know, other departments who may need a little more, who may need to be strengthened, et cetera. Um, we need to do the emergency crisis type of uh, supports um, first of all, and what it means when uh, people lose their housing or when people cannot find affordable housing is that we lose them from the city, um, they are no longer contributing to our economy, um, they are no longer part of our, our community at large, um, and we lose people like hardworking immigrants and, uh, and uh, folks that have um, given so much to our city and continue to contribute, um, have children in the school systems here, et cetera. Um, and, and we also, when we create more homelessness, uh, obviously we're just contributing to the problems that um, mean we have to put more and more money into homeless services. So uh, things like eviction prevention, things like building conditions, um, things like uh, rental assistance, those are in vitally important right now, and we have no room to cut any of it by any means. Uh, we need to uh, preserve what we have, and if anything, those are the areas we need to strengthen and do more with, uh, rather than um, law enforcement or some other departments that uh, seem to be a priority amongst the administration right now. Um, we, we need to uh, put our heads together and be creative about finding Speaker's where we can get the funding. Months. Thank you. Thank you much, Sarah Short, for addressing this committee. Good morning, Supervisors. I'm a little bit out of breath, so pardon my uh, speaking very quickly and, uh, and getting my breath together. Um, I really appreciate this item coming forward to explore how we look at the mid-year cuts and assess how much they're really going to be needed or if the city is actually going to be um, carrying, carrying them out or not, and what kind of cost savings are going to be available so that we can make better decisions. This type of uh, transparency that we're creating around uh, this budget process is essential. It's essential in January and in February, in March, April, May, and June throughout this process. It's also a process that really needs to have a balanced approach where there's a lot of significant public input. I'm concerned about the direction the city has been going in terms of putting most of the resources or all the talk about where the resources have to go into public safety in a very narrow way of police staffing that actually eliminates the ability to actually look at the, the whole budget and what are the essential services across the budget that give a sense of public safety that need investment. That, that San Francisco residents rely on to create a sense of community that actually can alleviate the fear that we all live in. I think that's a significant, you know, overarching view to look at this budget process, and it takes measures like this to, to bring transparency to the decision-making process. This is actually a collaborative approach to balance this budget. It's not one of one of the mayor's office imposing their will over the Board of Supervisors and the people of San Francisco for who they think are going to be the best people to serve that will give them the longevity to stay in office. This is really about how we create a collaborative leadership around how we resolve the crisis of management that we have in the city, and the board has a significant role to play in that, and we hope we can work with you to help shape that process over the next few months. Thank you so much. Thank you, and good to see you, John Avalos. Last call for any speakers uh, regarding this uh, item number 13.
Madam Chair, that completes our queue. Thank you. Yes, I do want to acknowledge that was uh, our former supervisor, John Avalos, speaking. And with that, uh, seeing no more public comments, public comment is now closed. Um, colleagues, I just wanted to read off uh, quickly out of these uh, $48 million of reserve, uh, roughly about um, $7.9 million, almost $8 million is coming from the Department of Public Health, and about um, $2.7 million is economic and workforce development. Uh, another $3.4 million is the homelessness and supportive housing. Uh, another $5.2 million is for the Human Services Agency, um, and definitely about $8.2 million coming from the Mayor's Office. In this case, I do believe a big chunk of it is for the Mayor's Office of um, housing and community development. So just wanted to highlight for you colleagues out of this 48 millions, uh, these are uh, coming where I would identify as critical and essential services for San Franciscans. Uh, it's the reason why let's put this on reserve and so that allow us to continue this conversation about how do we balance it now um, uh, what to cut uh, and what we can continue. I just want to make sure that I do give a chance uh, in case that the mayor's office want to comment, but I, I don't, um, doesn't look like it, but I just want to make sure I want to acknowledge that. Um, and uh, with that, uh, colleagues, I would like to move this item to full board with recommendation. And may I have a roll call, please? Yes, and on that motion to forward this ordinance to the full board with a positive recommendation, Vice Chair Mandelman. Mandelman, aye. Member Melgar. Melgar, aye. Chair Chan. Aye. Chan, aye. We have three ayes. Thank you, and the motion passes. And with that, uh, Mr. Clerk, please call items uh, 14 and 15 together. Yes, item numbers 14 and 15 are items regarding costs incurred hosting the Asia-Pacific Economic Cooperation Summit, or APEC. Item number 14 is a resolution authorizing the police department to accept and expand a grant in two payment installments with an initial payment of $5 million, followed uh, by a payment of available funds of up to $1.5 million for a total amount of up to $6.5 million from the San Francisco Special Events Committee nonprofit to fund overtime costs incurred by the police department in support of the city's hosting of the APEC in November 2023, approving the associated grant agreement and authorizing the chief of police to enter into modifications to the grant agreement that do not materially increase the obligations or liabilities to the city and are necessary to effectuate the purposes of the agreement or this resolution and number 15, item number 15, is a hearing to consider the release of reserved funds to the mayor's office placed on Budget and Finance Committee Reserve by Ordinance Number 144-23 in the amount of $6.5 million to fund various city departments, including the Police Department, Sheriff's Department, and Department of Emergency Management due to costs related to APEC. Madam Chair. Thank you, and colleagues, and for the general public, um, the item 14 and 15, um, one item 14 is to actually for the city to accept money, to receive money from a special events committee, um, APAC-related, um, the Asian Pacific Economic uh, Cooperation events. Um, and then the item 15 is for the city to release uh, the reserve funds to um, fund uh, what already been spent on the very same event. Um, and that only item 15 has a budget and legislative analyst report. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna go to the mayor's office first for presentation and then uh, for both item 15, uh, 14 and 15, and then we'll go to the budget and legislative analyst and then colleagues feel free to ask questions. Um, thank you so much. Great, thank you Supervisor Chan. So just 
to summarize what you just stated, there are two items before you today. One is a gift to accept funds to partially reimburse some of the costs associated with APEC. And the second is to release funds that were already set aside in this year's budget, a portion of those funds to also reimburse costs. So today we're going to talk about the event overall, some of the costs associated with putting on that event. There are representatives here from multiple departments who can speak about some of the specifics of their operations, but I'm first going to hand it over to Sean Ellsburn, the Mayor's Chief of Staff, um, who's gonna talk about what APEC did for the city, some of the details of it. And I have a presentation that I'm sharing on my screen. We'll click through that, great. Thank you, Supervisors. Thank you, Anna, for that introduction. Uh, supervisors, I'd really like to take your lead here in terms of where you want to go and what detail you want to get into. I don't think I need to sit here and explain to you what APEC was, uh, who was here, what it was. Um, you tell me. Would you like to get into the breakdown of how we expended the money, where the money came from? Uh, it's all in the presentation that we've submitted and we've met with your offices a number of times. Again, I don't want to you, you direct me, where would you like to go? Please, go through the presentation. I think this, again, it's for the public. Okay, um, Anna, can you run through it for me? Okay, so again, APEC, uh, Supervisor Chan, Chair Chan, as you said, the Asian Pacific Economic Cooperation. We had uh, nearly two dozen heads of state here in San Francisco uh, the week before Thanksgiving. Uh, and then along with it, uh, truth be told, uh, now that you've asked me to talk, a piece that I did not truly appreciate until post-APEC was the APEC CEO Summit. Uh, uh, the foreign dignitaries were, of course, at Moscone, but at Moscone West, we had the APEC CEO Summit. We had over a 1,000 CEOs from companies based all throughout the Pacific Rim, along with a number of their employees. Um, and that, to me, uh, may be, in the long run, the uh, event that creates the biggest benefit for San Francisco, uh, in that we brought all those eyes to San Francisco to, in fact, see that San Francisco is the great city that we all know it is. Uh, and it gave us the ability to, uh, show, off, um, to show off our home to them. Um, so we had that CEO summit along with it. Uh, next slide, please. You can see that uh, previous uh, Why San Francisco, you can see who the five other cities were that uh, at least we've been told bid. I was also told, I don't see it on this list, that Atlanta, Georgia uh, was one of the finalists. Um, nevertheless, we were thankfully uh, selected uh, and we're very proud that we were. Next slide, please, Anna. Special Events Committee. Uh, as the chair mentioned, one of the items in front of you is an accept and expend grant. This is an accept and expend grant of monies received by the Special Events Committee, uh, giving to us for certain city purposes. Uh, what is the Special Events Committee? The Special Events Committee, uh, this is the first time the committee has been used since Mayor Breed uh, has been Mayor Breed. The last time it was used in a fundraising capacity, uh, I believe, was when the Tony Bennett statute was put up there at the Fairmont. Uh, and I think prior to that, the last time it was used was for the 2014, 2012, 2010 World Series parades. Um, so it is a vehicle that is used to philanthropically raise funds for large civic events. Um, next slide, please. Uh, you can see uh, we 
mayor beat her fundraising mark of $20 million by raising just over $20 million at 20460000 20, This is a list of the various donors. All of the fundraising uh, complied with the behested payment legislation that I believe, uh, think all three of you maybe, uh, if not three of you sponsored um, earlier this or late last year. Uh, it did pass unanimously. So all of the fundraising was publicly disclosed. All of the behested payment forms were filed with the Ethics Commission. The exact amounts that the mayor raised publicly disclosed, all available, and happy to provide more information should you care to see it. Uh, next slide, please, Anna. This is now a breakdown of how the uh, proposed, or how the funds were spent. You'll see at the top, total raise, $20 million, 460000 and then the various events that happened, various needs to spend dollars. Uh, without question, the largest amount went to the events, uh, nearly $8.4 million. Um, I could talk through each one of these if you'd like, or if you have any questions about them, I can take your questions. Uh, and you can see that uh, all in some special events committee has spent 14 point, approximately $2 million of their $20 million that they raised leaving us with $6,286,293, which is what the Special Events Committee is proposing to give to the city for the remaining costs that we have. Uh, next slide, please. So I can talk about these for a moment. So the costs shown in this table represent direct city costs. So you just saw the events costs associated with putting on the event, but costs that city departments um, also incurred. And these really represent outsized costs in city departments that were far above and beyond their standard duties. Um, this is largely police staffing. Um, and representatives from the police department can speak to their sort of extraordinary level of effort that they went to to support um, mutual aid from around the state that came in to support Secret Service um, over multiple days. So this is largely about police and some sheriff staffing that also supported that mutual aid effort, as well as um, additional ambulance units that we needed to bring in that were paid for by DEM. So these costs will then be paid for, again, by um, the two sources that are um, pending before you today. If I could just jump in. Uh... So I recall from my days in this uh, room, it doesn't happen often uh, in the middle of my presentation. I'd just like to recognize Captain Kane and Lieutenant Frost of the SFPD. These two gentlemen spent nearly, what, 12 months of your careers getting ready for APEC, uh, and it came off flawlessly from an SFPD perspective. I'd like to thank you and the department for all the great work you did over the last year, and in particular that week. Thank you both. Um, so, next slide, please. What did APEC do for the city? Um, I mean, uh, what did APEC do for the city? I mean, I think APEC was one of the uh, largest events, one of the, one, one of the events as a San Franciscan my entire life. I am most proud of being a San Franciscan that we hosted. We had all of these heads of state here. We put ourselves on them on every newspaper throughout the world that we had that kind of exposure in such a positive way, this was huge for the city. We know the city has taken a beating in international press, taken a beating in local press. This gave us a chance to show what we are. We're the great city that we all know that we are. And we were able to show it off. 
very proud of that opportunity, and we did it flawlessly. I'm very, very proud of the way the city pulled this off. There were a lot of doubters. There were a lot of people who did not think we could pull it off. We did. Every single one of those CEOs with whom we spoke said, wow, this is a great city. This is a city that we need to spend more time in, and more importantly, this is a city we need to spend more money in. It was a very, very successful event. From a foreign policy perspective, the Golden Gate Declaration, the document that was approved by the APEC countries, is the kind of document that I believe the Pacific Rim foreign countries are going to be talking about for decades to come. I think the fact that San Francisco was the host of the President Biden, President Xi summit, it's the kind of thing that provides the foundation for the future of U.S.-China relations. That is always going to pay dividends for the city. We should be very proud that we were able to host and nurture such a successful foreign diplomatic event. Um, this is the Budget Committee. You want to know how much money we generated because all of that stuff is kind of pie in the sky. You're right to ask those questions. Per San Francisco Travel, we believe the total economic impact of the event was $62 million. Uh, we can tell you nearly uh, $44 million was spent in direct spending. You know, that $14 million that the uh, Special Events Committee spent, that's already been spent, that was money spent here in San Francisco. That was money spent on union labor jobs in San Francisco. It was union labor that put together the various events at Moscone, at the Exploratorium, at the Legion of Honor. It was local catering companies, local businesses that benefited from all of that spending. Um, so, Mayor, the administration are very, very pleased with the APEC Summit and um, we would respectfully request that you follow the budget analyst recommendation and release the reserves and approve the accept and expand resolution. And I'm happy to answer any of your questions. And of course, have various city departments here to uh, answer any specific ones that I can't handle. Thank you, Chair Chen, Supervisors. Item 15, this uh, is a hearing to re release uh, approximately $6.5 million um, in a general fund reserve that uh, was reserved during the budget process for um, APEC spending. Uh, as was noted by the mayor's office, this will contribute to the $12.8 million reimbursement plan from the mayor's office to reimburse the sheriff, police, and Department of Emergency Management um, for uh, expenditures that, that they incurred related to APEC. Uh, we detail the spending, um, the city spending, um, on pages 30 and 31 of our report. Uh, you'll see that the citywide department spent $26.6 million. That was partially offset by specific department revenues uh, that on net added up to about $1 million. Um, so the net expenditures of the city were about $25 million. Those were largely general fund expenditures. About $21 million, we estimate, was general fund expenditures. Um, I will say we do not know the, the economic impact that this conference had on the city, um, largely because the sale t sales tax data is not available and won't be available for review until March. We were able to obtain um, hotel data from SF Travel, which did indicate that about you know, hotel rates and occupancy uh, were up during the week of APEC that probably resulted in an additional $2 million that week relative to the prior year in hotel tax revenue to the city. 
We also looked at bridge toll data, which showed a decrease in trips to San Francisco, at least from the East Bay, um, of about 100,000 visitors during the month of November in 2023, relative to November 2022, um, offset in part by 30,000 additional BART passengers during that period. Um, so I think the economic impact is ambiguous, but the indicators we do see um, indicate uh, fewer people in San Francisco. Uh, this um, beyond the, this is I want to be clear that releasing this money from reserve, it's just shifting general fund money from one part of the budget to the other. So although it's reimbursing the police and sheriff and Department of Emergency Management for their expenditures, um, the net cost of the city is really just their city spending of $26 million, which is then reduced by the donation from the Special Events Committee of about $6.3 million. There's no other reimbursement uh, that's coming in from the outside. Uh, we did look at a couple other diplomatic events that were similar to this. We looked at a um, NATO summit in Chicago in 2012 and a, the prior APEC summit that was in the United States uh, in Honolulu in 2011. Um, in both cases, there were federal grants that offset local funding for, for all the um, police staffing costs. In Honolulu, there was a kind of, there was a FEMA grant essentially designed specifically for that event. In Chicago, there was um, also a FEMA grant that was provided about a, uh, a substantial portion of the reimbursement for that city that's no longer part of the federal budget. And then the city of Chicago also diverted a lot of their urban area security initiative funds, which the city uses to fund counterterrorism activities uh, to pay for police staffing. So there was no net cost uh, for the city of Chicago um, to host the NATO summit. Uh, I also want to point out that there was a $10 million reserve. This item 15 releases about $6.5 million. That leaves about $3.5 million left in that reserve, spending from which would require committee approval. That could be used for next year's budget. It could increase reimbursements to city departments, or it could be used for other board priorities. We recommend approval of item 15. Thank you. Um, I have uh, just uh, some questions um, based on the previous uh, analysis for the fifth, Super Bowl 50, um, very similar with the Special Events Committee. Um, the lessons learned from that, that there's, there seems to be the lack of written uh, memorandum of understanding or any type of agreements both about spending and reimbursement. Um, so just wanted to know a couple of things. One is, uh, were there written agreement uh, that the, the city has uh, with special events committee uh, in the decision-making process of both spending and generating revenue um, and what that actually looked like, meaning are there agree um, specific costs for reimbursements and percentage of events or spending that will that the city will receive for reimbursements. And I think the second part will be um, learning upon about the potential of being able to receive uh, federal reimbursement through FEMA. Um, do we, have we tried to sought after reimbursement through FEMA process? Granted though, also from the, based on the uh, budget and legislative analyst report, 
it seems like that budget is no longer uh, available to us uh, by the federal government. So when do we learn that? How do we know that? And, and how, do we, how do we then adjust to that, knowing that it's not, no longer available to San Francisco? Sure. So let me start with the written agreement question. Uh, short answer is no. There is not a written agreement between the city and the Special Events Committee. Uh, that said, to your initial point about uh, uh, receipts, itemizations, all of that, we have every single penny accounted for. Everything is documented. Everything was provided to the budget analyst. Every receipt, every expense is available. Happy to make all of that public. We had to disclose every single dollar that was raised to the Ethics Commission. It was also disclosed. All the expenses are here and available to you. Um, but no, there is no written agreement between us and the Special Events Committee. You mentioned the Super Bowl. I think they had a separate committee, but that was 10 years ago. I was not around. I don't know. I don't think that was the Special Events Committee. Your next question about FEMA. You know, the budget analyst uh, did not analyze, I don't know if you guys had a chance to look at the Summit of the Americas, which was in Los Angeles just last year. Perhaps a little bit better of a comparison in that it is not a decade old. It was just a year. Uh, Summit of the Americas in Los Angeles cost the city of Los Angeles over $28 million. They were only able to raise $2 million in philanthropy. The city of San Francisco was able to double that despite um, having a much shorter window of time to raise money, and this is only going to cost the city. We're re requesting the release of only six point, what is it, six point five million dollars. Um, we are happy to talk to FEMA. We certainly spent a great deal of time talking to the State Department, talking to the White House, talking to Speaker Pelosi's office, doing everything we could, knocking on every door we could think of in the federal government to get more federal reimbursement, but there were certain lines, certain doors that were shut, and we were told, no, there is not going to be federal reimbursement. Um, as the budget analyst said, there is no program in the FEMA budget today. That was a program that existed in 2012. It's 2024, not today. But we will go back to them again. Um, and then I think the other point the budget analyst made was about shifting UASI grants. Uh, that would be one of the last things we'd want to do. Those UASI grants are already programmed for very important Homeland Security projects that we do not want to defund. I think the question also is that, you know, the fact that we do not have a written agreement, then how do we come about uh, decision-making process? Or if you can walk us through the decision-making process, for example, events is being spent for $8.3 million. Um, I am not questioning the um, spending. I just wanted to understand the decision-making process between to, to say, let's spend $8.3 million. Um, this, again, though, is in the context that us as a city are spending $26 million. Granted that we are receiving $6.5 million uh, as a gift from the Special Events Committee, but then, then the net calls or the net spending that we have uh, with after this process will be roughly about $20 million, mm -hmm. um, which I'm is... I'm sorry, Supervisor, no. Okay. Net cost is $6 million. $20 million was raised philanthropically. The net cost for the city is a little over $6 million. Here, actually, in the budget and legislative analyst report has indicating, indicated that um, there are spending specific to the APAC, um, be it from administrative services, airport, 
um, like public works is about $2.6 million, police is about $13.8 million, um, and so just the MTA is $2.2 million. So those are the spending that the city has that is roughly about the costs 20. that are being absorbed by the departments, yes. Yes. So, Thank you. So the city is spending a roughly about $26 million, which uh, we appreciate receiving uh, roughly about 6.5, or uh, we're receiving $6.5 million from the Special Events Committee um, as a gift of funds raised by the Special Events Committee. Um, so roughly about $20 million the city is absorbing to host APAC. Um, so that... Um, leads to the question, if we do not have a written agreement about how we make decision on spending, um, how, how do we, I, I think it's, it's, I'm just trying to understand in the, that we spend $8 million on events. Sure. Um, how do we, well, how do we walk away to say this is, this is a mutual beneficial decision making process? So the special events committee is not the one who decided how much those events were gonna cost. The State Department and White House did. And there was no written agreement between the White House and the State Department and the Special Events Committee, nor with the city and county of San Francisco. The way it worked is that of that event line item that you have in front of you, nearly 90% of it went to that one welcome reception that I think many of you attended down at the Exploratorium. That event cost a little over seven and a half million dollars. That event was entirely designed by the White House and the State Department. We made a number of recommendations on how to save dollars, but they had the final call on how that event would proceed. I personally did not get a chance to enjoy or did, did not stay to enjoy the fireworks and the concerts. Um, so is, I'm just trying to understand if the, this is, uh, I, I am specifically pointing to the Exploratorium event um, that you just mentioned. Uh, is, is that clear that what you're saying, or I just want to confirm and verify that what you're saying is the State Department's, the, the, the administration, the White House administration, not, not San Francisco, determined that we ought to have fireworks and the concerts following the event? That was all of their event. And so I, I think that's the question. So that uh, to imagine, uh, I want to reference back, and, and you're absolutely right. I was a co-sponsor to the behest uh, payment uh, waiver um, because what I do believe is that it is was a, for a cash-strapped city tackling budget deficits. It was our best option uh, if we were to move forward and host a, a events at this scale that we ought to be able to. Uh, to, uh, fundraise uh, with private funds. Um, and at that moment, and I remember that we were having this discussion, the anticipation was roughly about $20 million um, that, that we will uh, raise through that waiver. Um, and it's to also with the anticipation that that $20 million will actually cover uh, the city expenses. Um, do you, do you want to talk a little bit about that, like how, how do we end up being able to raise that funds and, and that $20 million, clearly out of that $20 million, only $6 million is that coming back to the city for reimbursement? I'm sorry, Supervisor, I don't understand the question. 
When we approve the waiver um, at that hearing, uh, you have committed and, and really explained that the goal is to raise roughly about $20 million, and that $20 million is to reimburse the cost of hosting the event uh, specifically for the city. It's a reason why we are going out with this waiver to say we need to raise this money uh, at, for our mayor, you know, our uh, office of protocol to go out to raise this fund on behalf of the city because it's the anticipation that the $20 million is really going to cover the cost of the cities to host this uh, event. As a result, that it seems that, to me that right now we're only receiving $6.5 million. Fair enough, Supervisor, but I, the, the point I need to at least quibble with a bit um, when we came here for the behested payment, what we suggested was we think we can raise $20 million. We did not know at that time, and nor did we say this event will cost $20 million. We said we think we can raise $20 million. And then, subsequent to getting the behested payment waiver, the mayor introduced a June 1st budget that included $10 million that you appropriately placed on reserve to cover additional costs. That in and of itself is evidence that we did not know how much it would cost, and that the supervisors who unanimously approved that allocation recognized that point. And the budget analyst's report from the budget in June that all of you had specifically said in that $10 million reserve, this is to cover additional costs beyond what philanthropy is going to pay for APEC. So just to be clear, we never said APEC will only cost $20 million, and there was plenty of evidence in your budget analyst reports making that crystal clear. When did we uh, go out to bid for the event? Thanksgiving-ish of 22, say, uh, right in and around there, and then it was announced... Uh, APEC is held every year, and it was announced right around that time in Bangkok, right, by Vice President Harris. Yeah. And so then that's when December 2022, I think I, I do remember too, and that's when we uh, were awarded with the bid of hosting APEC mm -hmm. in November 2023. And, uh, but I, I, again, just wanted to clarify, uh, when it came to the board, uh, which is spring for the waiver. April. Uh, yeah, and that um, 2023, mm -hmm. uh, we did not know uh, how much that event was going to cost us, even though we were awarded in December 2022. That's correct. And so along the way, we sort of just learning more and more about the cost. We did not have a written agreement to know about the spending and reimbursements, but we continue to, as since we awarded the, the, the bid to host, um, and we continue on to figure out along the way, so to speak. Right. I of, mean, the perfect spending. example would be in December of 2022, we had no idea there would be a leader's reception at the Exploratorium with fireworks in November of 23. All we knew is that we were having a summit here in San Francisco in November of 23, and then over the course of 2023, the event started bu building itself out, and the cost started escalating. And, and there was no way that the city and county of San Francisco uh, were able to push back uh, on some of those uh, spending. Oh, there absolutely was, and we did. We, I, I mean, I 
don't want to know what the number would have been had we not pushed back. Yeah. We pushed back extensively on a number of ideas that they had. Some we were successful, some we weren't. And the pushback, uh, I, I think I'm just, again, trying to understand since we don't have a written agreement, but, but I assume that there is some type of agreement as, as we were awarded the bid. There, there's, there, that's like on the grounds of being able to, quote unquote, according to you, push back because as we accepted the bid or awarded the bid, that we were able to have some um, informations or agree, some type of written agreements that allow us to push back on the spending. No, as I said, Supervisor, there was no written agreement between the city and the State Department about who was going to pay for what. We worked that out throughout the year. Thank you. I don't see any name on the roster. Uh, I think that we're going to go to public comments on this item now. Yes, we now invite members of the public who have joined us today uh, who wish to speak on this item to line up on the west side of the, of the room, right along those curtains. Uh, and if you missed it earlier, uh, we have reintroduced uh, comment cards. Absolutely not necessary to, uh, to provide public comment, but we do invite you to fill out a comment card for our accuracy of the minutes. And, and with that, if the first speaker can approach the lectern, I'll start your time. Please go ahead. Good afternoon, Supervisors. Um, Carl Kramer, uh, co-chair of the Budget Justice Coalition and also with the San Francisco Living Wage Coalition, which is a part of the Alliance for Social and Economic Justice. Uh, supervisors, I just want to say that the money that's been put on reserve for the APEX Summit could be better used for community needs. In particular, uh, we have an example of a in the North Mission, we have um, a labor community center, the Center for Social and Economic Justice, which was funded uh, in uh, a line item that was under the uh, MOHCD, Labor Community Events and Meeting Space. That funding was cut by the mayor in the mid-year budget cuts. And it was uh, only 100,000. I can't think of like a, an, a, a minuscule amount of money compared to the entire city budget and the impact that it's had on people's lives. I mean, we're not going to stop doing what we're doing, but there was so much more that could be done. And I'm going to turn it over to community members, kind of talk about the effect that it's had on them. Buenas tardes a todos. Gracias por darme la palabra. Soy Guillermina Castellanos, uh, trabajadora de la comunidad. Y estoy aquí porque me preocupa que este, el presupuesto vaya a otros lugares como la seguridad. Ahorita en estos momentos es sumamente importante y sutil usar estos, este presupuesto para nuestra comunidad. Más en estos momentos que estamos todavía pasando el COVID. Hay mucha necesidad en nuestra comunidad y es importante que hagamos hincapié en estas necesidades. Estamos sufriendo la necesidad de vivienda, la necesidad este, de comida, la necesidad eh, que ustedes ya saben y es importante que enfoquemos esos presupuestos a esta comunidad latina inmigrante que es la más necesitada. Muchas gracias. I, I can translate, Mr. Clark, porque hablo en, en español. 
So uh, I am very worried that um, we are shifting these funds that are very much needed for the community uh, to uh, uh, needs like law enforcement instead of uh, the needs of the community, which are in housing, food security, um, and uh, um, services for workers, which is uh, what the community needs. Uh, so I am asking you to um, show our priorities. Thank you. Muchas gracias, Supervisora Mirna. Le agradezco mucho. Before I call the next uh, speaker, I do need to I do need to remind the audience that right now we're taking public comment on um, on the costs related to APEC. Uh, we did hold public comment regarding the mid-year budget reduction and our last item, and that public comment was closed. So, if if you were to address this committee right now, the items. Um, the items that were called is related to APEC funding. So I'm giving you the opportunity to redirect your, your comments towards uh, the APEC funding right now. Lo, lo voy a traducir al español. Eh, lo que dice el señor es que ahorita te estamos tomando el comentario público acerca de los costos eh, de APEC, de las, del presupuesto de, de los, las dos cosas que hemos, que hemos hecho, de los costos y lo que hemos gastado para APEC. No de las reducciones del presupuesto eh, que hicieron a mediados del año. Eso ya lo tomamos, el comentario lo tomamos fue este, en la cosa que vimos antes. Así es que este, si quieren eh, volver a, a preparar sus comentarios, este, esto es nada más para los costos y los gastos de APEC, no de los, um, las reducciones de mediados de año. Gracias. Thank you so much, Member Melgar, for that. And with that, next speaker, please. If I can, I'm going to translate. Sure. Buenas tardes. Soy Lorena Carrillo, trabajadora del hogar. I'm sorry, I haven't started the speaker's time yet. Just directly into the microphone, please. Thank you much. Buenas tardes. Soy Lorena de la comunidad, trabajadora del hogar. Good afternoon. My name is Lorena, and I'm a domestic worker. Yo como trabajadora y emigrante nos afecta mucho a los recortes. Uh, I'm an immigrant woman and I'm a worker and I am um, see, being affected by all the budget cuts that I've seen. Es necesario que no hagan más recortes. Gracias. It's necessary that you um, don't make other budget cuts. Thank you. Okay. Uh, again. Uh, I will reiterate that we are taking public comment uh, regarding APEC funding. We have already held public comment regarding the uh, mid-year budget cuts. So, um, uh, so going forward, if, if I continue to hear uh, commentary, I will interrupt you and we'll go to the next speaker. Thank you much. Lo que dice es que este, ya tomamos comentario acerca de los recortes al presupuesto. Ya no podemos tomar más comentarios, lo va a tener que cortar. Entonces, este, si, puede, si puede dirigir los comentarios específicamente a lo que está en la agenda, que es este, lo, lo, los gastos que hemos hecho de uh, APEC. Okay. 
Buenas tardes, mi nombre es Marcela. Simplemente le estoy pidiendo que los recortes que vayan a IP, el único que les pido para eso. Gracias. Um, I am a domestic worker, and what I'm advocating is that any resources that you're allocating for APEC should be uh, always used for the community services. Next speaker, please. Next speaker, please. I get to APEC, so. <clears throat> My name is Rachel Church and I'm a parent leader with Parent Voices San Francisco. I'm a mother of a half West African seven-year-old daughter. I believe that we can use the APEC funding for community services, like housing, food, all of those really, really important things that low-income mothers like me need. By the 12th of every month, my food stamps are gone and I have nothing left over, and I have to find other ways to make ends meet. So with the Asian Pacific Economic Cooperative event, I think we should use all of that money for our low-income families and working-class families in San Francisco. Thank you. Thank you much, Rachel Church. Next speaker, please. Buenas tardes, mi nombre es Alma Vélez, soy trabajadora del hogar, este, del hogar. Eh, pienso que los fondos para IPEC son eh, más necesarios para la, clase para la clase menos privilegiada que somos los trabajadores del hogar como inmigrantes. Nuestro trabajo también es muy esencial, como cualquiera. ¿Eh? Alma Vélez. Mi, mi, mi nombre es Alma Vélez. Uh, I am a domestic worker, and I'm here to advocate for our community. I believe that all of the resources that uh, have been spent during APEC and are going to be are meant to spend for APEC should be actually invested in working class communities like myself. Thank you. Next speaker. Buenas tardes, mi nombre es Raúl Rivera, soy jornalero y vengo a apoyar a la coalición. My name is Raúl Rivera, I am a day laborer and I am here to represent the coalition. A la organización Alianza por la Justicia Social y Económica El motivo es porque ellos me han apoyado con cursos de participación cívica, entrenamientos que me han ayudado mucho. Gracias por su atención. I'm here to support the Coalition on Justice for Social and Economic Rights. And the motive of why I'm here is because they have helped me and uh, trained me so that, that I could advance Thank you so much. Next speaker. Next speaker, please. Yes, good afternoon. My name is Lourdes Alarcón. I'm here to advocate for the funding. It's like really um, seeing a lot of needs in the community. It's really sad that this funding is being um, spent in IPEC. 
which is not covering, is not taking care of the regular families in San Francisco. I'm an educator, and I'm here to advocate for early childhood and education, and also higher education, why not? And I'm really, really uh, asking you to put this funding somehow, fund this, um, the community instead of um, events like large, like the APEC. Thank you very much. Thank you much. Next speaker, please. Yes, hi, my name is June Buck, and I'm a leader with Parent Voices. Hi, Milgar. <laughs> and um, I'm also born and raised here in this city. I'm also of mixed API descent, and I also work as a community health worker at the San Francisco Community Health Center. And I want to say that when APEC came here to the city, that, yeah, it's nice, all the music and all the lights, but a lot of houseless folks were in fear and they had to find places and safe places to go because of the police presence. And I think that it's good that we have conferences because they provide services and education, but we need to look at how we're doing that in our communities, how it's impacting our unhoused communities, our vulnerable communities, and we also need to look at how we're spending money and investing into big conferences and summits in our city. Because right now, childcare is in crisis. We need funding to invest into our infrastructure. We have children that are still on the wait list. And we have a lot of families that are dealing with houselessness, incapacitated parents who need childcare now. And we lost a lot of childcare infrastructure because of COVID and the pandemic. And we need to take that funding and invest into our children in San Francisco. Thank you. Because investing in childcare is a public safety. Thank you. Thank you, Junebug. Next speaker, please. Yes, my name is Yolanda Cazalco, and I hope I'm not censored. Um, one of the reasons I'm against uh, using the money, the six million, over $6 million for Apex surveillance is because um, I was reading an article from Al Jazeera, and the article said that uh, Hamas did not sexually abuse anybody, that what their intentions were because there were thousands of Palestinians that have been killed by Israel since the year 2000 because of the Judaism of the West Bank in Jerusalem and because of the settlements. And I'm going to read something here that they said violence against, this is from Jewish Voice for Peace. Violence against Palestinians in the occupied bank has reached a fever pitch. Um, the Palestinian uh, I'm pausing the speaker's time. Uh, we are now taking public comment regarding okay, the funding okay, of APEC. Okay, okay, let me just say something. Um, please re drop the charges. It's horrible. Women are using, young girls are using tent scrap for menstruation napkins. They have destroyed universities, cultural places. Right. Uh, again, we are taking so public you, comment regarding no the funding of APEC. Police, and so uh, if you can't redirect your comments, we will move on to the next speaker. Thank you much. Next speaker, please. Hi, my name is JD, and I'm with Malaya Movement, San Francisco. I'm a resident in Inner Sunset, and I work in the Tenderloin. Whenever I go to work in the Tenderloin, it is a stark contrast to the neighborhood I live in. It is apparent that homelessness and drug abuse are unaddressed issues there. People are crowded around Union Plaza, and in the evenings, other parts of the neighborhood, they are sleeping on the streets or walking bent over as if affected by fentanyl abuse. I also want to acknowledge that this issue is not only limited to the Tenderloin, but is prevalent throughout the city. Breed's solution to homelessness prior to APEC was militarized police sweeps to make San Francisco more presentable to the heads of state and CEOs that were visiting the city. This hasn't solved homeless before, homelessness before, 
and we can't expect these sweeps to solve homelessness in the future. Allocating APEC reserves to the SFPD while cutting the budgets of other helpful services will not change anything about that. This will eliminate critical programs that help people get jobs, get fed, and get back on their feet. This will only worsen the homelessness crisis and the drug epidemic that our city is experiencing. Supporting SFPD and criminalizing homeless people is not going to help them get jobs and become valuable members of the community. Investing the APEC reserves in services and programs that aim to help them will. Criminalizing drug abusers will not make them stop using drugs. It will only temporarily get people off drugs while they are held in jail. However, if we invest in programs and services that are proven to reduce addiction, we can lessen the amount of people that are harmed by drug abuse. If human feces on our streets is something people really don't want to see anymore, thank you. Thank you much for your comments. Next speaker, please. Good afternoon. My name is Amanda Alvarado Ford, and I'm the Development Director and Immigration Attorney at La Raza Centro Legal, uh, an award-winning legal aid in the Mission District. And I'm here to speak today about the APEC expenditures that the city and county of San Francisco spent. I feel that those funds would be actually much better spent if they were restored to our nonprofit legal aid in the amount of 80000 That's the amount of funding cuts our legal aid agency suffered um, to our staff attorney's salary. That specific staff attorney is the wonderful young attorney standing right here, Juan Vialvaso. We hired him a year ago um, because we believe the city would and the mayor would honor the promise of funding his salary. Now that we've learned 80000 of his salary is cut, we are left struggling and dipping into our savings. That's how important it is that low-wage workers here in San Francisco have legal representation. And I'll tell you the difference. Prior to hiring this wonderful young attorney, Juan, we, in 2022, we were only able to offer 143 full legal consultations and many dozens of full-scope legal representation. By contrast, after we hired Juan in 2023, we were able to offer 255 one-on-one -on -one legal consults for low-wage hotel workers, car wash workers, restaurant workers. These are people who are supporting our economy, supporting the conference like APEC, supporting um, all of our industry. And so I urge you to restore that funding, please. Um, I also want folks to know that, you know, by spending so extravagantly on APEC, uh, what does that look like for our legal aid? It means that, you know, we really don't have the funds to pay Juan's salary. And truly, low-wage workers are the backbone of our economy here. If we're going to bring back tourism, we're going to support folks, both immigrant and other low-wage workers, then we really need to put our money where our mouth is and support. Speaker's time has elapsed. Thank you much for addressing this committee. Thank you. Next speaker, please. Uh, hello. Good afternoon. My name is Juan Vilvaso. I'm a staff attorney at La Raza Centro Legal, and I uh, work in the Workers' Rights Program. Over the course of the last year, our program, has, uh, as Amanda said just a moment ago, uh, done 255 consultations. We've represented 42 clients and recovered over $175,000 for our clients in the last year. Uh, I understand the city's interest in attracting events like APEC. Obviously, it's good for the local economy, but I think it's also important that the Board of Supervisors understand that providing services like these to the community and to workers helps to build the economy from the ground up and not just from the top down. Thank you, and have a great day. Thank you much. Next speaker.
Good afternoon. My name is Lucia, director of the San Francisco Latino Parity and Equity Coalition. I stand before you to express concerns and raise crucial questions regarding the upcoming uh, the APEC and the ask for to reallocate $6.5 million. While welcoming such a significant international gathering is undoubtedly an opportunity for growth and visibility, it is imperative that we address the lack of physical responsibility and transparency in our approach. First, the absence of a concrete budget and detailed plan for costs associated with hosting APEG raises flags. How can we embark on such substantial undertaking without clear understanding of the financial implications? Our city is already grappling with a deficit and the decision to allocate funds for an event of this magnitude demands careful consideration. The proposal to allocate $6.5 million to police force amidst our financial challenges is also a cause of concern. While public safety is undoubtedly at the top of our priority, we must balance our needs and responsibility. Cutting millions of dollars from community programs in the face of pressing public safety issues raises questions about the distribution of resources that we have in this city. Furthermore, the irony of the situation lies in the ongoing efforts to increase accountability for community-based organizations and enhance transparency in the use of our city dollars. And it seems contradictory that we are pushing for greater scrutiny on smaller entities while also simultaneously lacking a clear financial plan for event hosting millionaires and world leaders. Where is the responsible spending? We are advocating for accountability in the expenditures of public funds and in this APEC event, which undoubtedly carries significant cost, appears to be lacking in financial oversight. How can we assure our constituents that their tax dollars are being spent justly when we cannot even provide comprehensive plan, financial plan for a high-profile event? It's, not, it's unacceptable, and I urge you to please. Thank you. Thank you much, Lucia. Next speaker, please. Buenas tardes, mi nombre es Francisco Herrera. Vengo a abogar porque en lugar de apoyar los gastos que se hicieron para APEC, se regresen gastos para la comunidad, para nuestros esfuerzos, por ejemplo, la Alianza de Justicia Social y Económica, que simplemente se le quitaron 100 mil dólares a nuestro presupuesto con el cual Apoyamos a jornaleros, trabajadoras del hogar, como Day Labor Program, la colectiva, y gente de la comunidad en participación cívica, entrenamientos de trabajo, entrenamientos de derechos laborales. A good afternoon. My name is Francisco Herrera, community member, and I'm here to advocate that instead of uh, spending funds on APEC, we be returned the funds that were taken from our association, Alliance for Social Economic Justice, and our many community groups that work with day laborers, with domestic workers. Uh, I'm personally a, a volunteer with the Day Labor Program San Francisco Independent, and uh, Colectiva is also independent. And we work with the Alliance for Social and Economic Justice. We, were, we lost $100,000 that we need to recover. Just one example of the kind of funding for community that trains workers uh, in civil rights, in labor rights, wage theft protection, and uh, other forms of training and leadership development. Thank you very much. Thank you much, Francis Carrera. Next speaker, please. Buenas tardes, mi nombre es Cirilo Nicolás. Este, 
eh, al financiar este APAC, eh, perjudica el presupuesto para que, que, es, que es destinado para, para nosotros los labors. Yo soy un labor. Uh, Hi, my name is Cirilo Nicolás. I am a day laborer. And I want to contribute that funding events like APEC is, and committing to these types of events actually take away from funding communities and programs that help day laborers like me. Gracias. Thank you. Thank you much. Next speaker. Buenos días, buenas tardes. Este, me llamo, bueno, me llamo León Victoriano García y estoy aquí con miedo. Estoy con miedo porque no tengo nada seguro en la vida. Estoy, este, pertenezco al Day Libro Program y vengo aquí a hablar para que se me escuche, pues que no se me olvide, que no, que no me ignore, que no me pateen porque necesito, este, subsistir. Y por eso vengo aquí para que no corten los fondos que se le están acostumbrado a darle a todos y que no se olviden que todos somos partes de Dios, todos somos partes de Krishna y aquí estamos, tenemos derecho de estar aquí porque todos somos sus hijos y así que no se olviden de nosotros, necesitamos su apoyo. Gracias. Hi, my name is Leon. I'm here to speak because I am very scared. I'm scared because I don't have anything secured in my life. The only thing that I have is programs like the Day Laborer Program, who is constantly giving me support and helping the community. I want to remind you that we are all part of one community, the community of God and Krishna, and we are humans, and we are... Um, we deserve to be included, we deserve to be taken account for, we deserve to be uh, receive services. Thank you. And again, friendly reminder, we are taking public comment uh, on item number 14 and 15, which is regarding uh, APEC funding. And so, thank you much. Next speaker, please. Good afternoon. My name is Kylie Benson, and I'm with Malaya Movement San Francisco. As a community organization, we primarily focus on the needs of the SOMA community, so we were concerned about APEC's impact on residents and businesses in the neighborhood. Almost everyone we spoke to received little to no information from the city about the school closures, rerouting of transit lines, or the additional security protocols that would be in place. The lack of preparation and care for the SF residents and small businesses is an understatement as small businesses in the SOMA reported losses of up to 80% of their business during the week of APEC. The mayor's heightened surveillance and policing of our communities, however, was not an oversight. To accommodate SFPD, Highway Patrol, and Secret Service, she willingly cut critical services for the public the whole week of APEC. At the CEO summit, my, a member of Malaya Movement, was physically and sexually assaulted by an SFPD sergeant. Since their attack, they have suffered from muscle inflammation, back spasms, nightmares, and more. Another note to APEC prote protester was physically assaulted by an SFPD officer and could not work for an entire month while they recovered from their injuries. 
While it is unsurprising that Mayor London Breed did not heed the public's concerns leading up to APEC, nor address the reported cases of police violence during APEC, it is absolutely shameful for her to call for 10% budget cuts for every department in the city and pressure SF to foot the cost for police overtime. Investing in our communities and ensuring they receive the services and resources they need will keep us safe. We commend you for passing Supervisor Connie Chan's re resolution in November, and we urge you to use those funds to support the small businesses and communities directly impacted by the summit and police violence. Thank you for your time. Thank you so much for your comments. Next speaker, please. Buenas tardes. Mi nombre es Petronilo Cervantes. Good afternoon. My name is Petronilo Cervantes. Estoy aquí con el objetivo de ser es que mi petición se escuche igual que todos los compañeros que venimos, que somos miembros de este movimiento, que somos miembros del Day Labor Program y, y miembros y miembros de la colectiva que son las mujeres. I'm here representing, all, like my companions from the day of program, La Colectiva, the men and women workers. He escuchado que esa, no sé cómo se le nombraba, compañía o llamada APED, se le ha ayudado monetariamente con dinero, con suficiente dinero, millones, decimos. Y este, nosotros, como miembros de este movimiento, pues solicitamos también que nos ayuden monetariamente con la cantidad de 100 mil dólares para solventar los problemas de nuestro grupo, de nuestra comunidad. So I'm hearing that there's a petition to support uh, the APEC company. I'm not sure who they are, but anyway, for, with millions of dollars or six million dollars, I'm here uh, representing workers as well, saying that we be supported with $100,000 instead. Eh, puesto que la compañía, la organización que nos apoya, que, que, es decir, la organización que se, supuestamente nos está ayudando este, en, en varias cosas, estipendios y otras cosas más que debería de ayudarnos, no nos toma en cuenta. Por eso nuestro grupo se quiere independizar y por eso solicitamos esa ayuda. Yo soy un... Yo soy una persona homeless también, que pertenezco al Day Labor Program, pero no tengo trabajo, estoy sin trabajo en todo este mes y el antepasado no me han mandado a trabajar. Y ese es mi punto de vista, espero que me oigan, me tomen en cuenta. I'm a day laborer, I'm also homeless, uh, I haven't found work, and these funds would help our community to get better organized. Thank you very much. Eso es todo, muchas gracias. Thank you much. Next speaker, please. Good afternoon. Uh, my name is Camilo Perez Bustillo. I'm the executive director of the National Lawyers Guild San Francisco Bay Area branch. I live and work in the Mission in Bernal Heights. I want to echo the words that have already been spoken by my colleagues before me from Malaya Movement, from the Budget Justice Coalition, from the community agencies that have been speaking out. We are here to underline the fact that what's being proposed in terms of redirecting these APEC funds to compensate those who have 
already been privileged is exactly the opposite direction from what we need. It's more of the same piled higher and deeper, and it goes to the question of what's really essential for the city of San Francisco. APEC was a public relations event that served Mayor Breed's political and personal agenda, and not that of the communities of San Francisco, especially communities of color that we represent. This included coddling dictators like Marcos of the Philippines and Dina Boluarte of Peru, and it included over-policing and brutalizing of protesters by police in at least three well-documented incidents that we will follow up on. It is an outrage and an obscenity to compensate and to further subsidize that kind of atrocity. No to APEC, no to this compensation. Thank you. Thank you much for your comments. Next speaker, please. Hello, uh, my name is Adrian and I'm a student at San Francisco State University and I am strongly against using the APEC funds towards police overtime. It's funny that it was mentioned that what APEC did for the city, but what did it actually accomplish? Absolutely nothing. As the police get millions upon millions, our, a lot of our essential services got cut. Communities and small businesses uh, took a big hit during APEC. In terms of what I saw during APEC week was houseness, houselessness folks getting swept and displaced. What I saw was SF being okay, inviting fascist world leaders like Bong Bong Marcos and other, other leaders other, other leaders um, just to have SF as another vacation spot. While communities are suffering every day and trying to survive with the lack of resources available, these world leaders got to go on vacation. The mayor's current budget and weak leadership is a reflection of the city's failure in providing services to our working class communities. Instead of tackling issues like houselessness or food scarcity, funds were directed instead towards hosting this overblown and unnecessary conference that did nothing but more damage to the city. I urge y'all to use the APEC money to start funding public services instead of the police. Thank you. Thank you, Adrian for addressing this committee. Next speaker. Hi there. Uh, my name is Rithik. I'm part of the League of Filipino Students at San Francisco State University. Um, I just want to start, you know, taking issue with uh, the report that was just presented. I think first with the claim that APEC showcased our city, uh, you know, to the global scale in the best light possible. Uh, is homelessness sweeps, you know, an assault of protesters, uh, what exemplifies our city? Uh, CEOs of corporations coming here to exploit us and plunder our homelands, is that what exemplifies our city? Uh, heads of states like Dino Bularte and Bong Bong Marcos, both who have committed countless human rights violations against uh, the people of their homelands and selling out their country, is that what uh, San Francisco uh, exemplifies? You know. We see that they talk about these economic gains, right? But even from the report itself, we see that these economic gains are ambiguous at best, and at worst, it's net zero. On top of that, there was claims in that report uh, that was presented just now that union labor and small businesses supported APEC. Uh, it was union labor, like SF, Labor Council, that opposed APEC with every fiber. It was small businesses that were shuttered and lost millions that were within the APEC shutdown zone. In this house right here, we passed a resolution showing our commitment to put those reserves instead for the people, to education, to food security, for housing, for our basic needs and rights, not police that protected those that exploit our peoples across the world, and not for police that have countlessly committed assaults against our people in this city itself. So please, I implore you, we implore you, please spend that reserves instead uh, for the people, not the police. Thank you. Thank you much, Rithi. Next speaker, please. 
Um, good afternoon, uh, supervisors. My name is Miguel Carrera. I work in the coalition on homelessness. Uh, I'm missing the opportunity to speak in the early iron, but uh, yes, definitely. So the people who are speaking, they really bring in the, the issues and this and these matters, you know. So one of the things I want to mention, I want to say, we have so many families without an opportunity to go to a shelter. We have so many children in San Francisco School District, more than 2,000, about 3,000 children. Homelessness without housing. We need to invest in the, in the homeless children and the, the families. We need to invest in the youth. So the city already cut the food for the, for the youth. So why are we going with these issues, you know? So it's, we're really facing a problem right here. Besides to start fixing these issues or these problems and putting the money and real things to solving the problems, so we started thinking about to provide more money to the police officers. What is, what is in our heads to think, to don't think about? Our families need a housing. Right now it's so cold outside, it's freezing, families are sleeping in tents, sleeping in the Arby's, sleeping outside without, without any opportunity to get a shelter or to get a housing. So I really want to ask supervisors to focus in this year and real budget and real money for the people who really need. All families, all children deserve to have a, a decent place to live. Please put more attention on our, on our people. Thank you. Thank you, Miguel Carrera. And again, reminder, uh, we are now taking public commentary regarding uh, the accept and expend uh, resolution and the release of reserve funds regarding APEC. Uh, any discussion about the uh, budget and or budget cuts to any department, um, I will redirect uh, back to the topic. So thank you much. Next speaker, please. Hi, my name is Kristen, and I'm an illustrator living in District 1. I'm a Filipino-American illustrator living in District 1 in Connie's district. I'm here to urge you to reconsider how you use these reserve funds. Um, during APEC, local law enforcement brutalized me and other demonstrators as we peacefully protested the deadly effects of APEC's neoliberal uh, deals. The brutality I faced from SFPD during APEC injured me so badly I was unable to work for a month, and I'm just one of the protesters that was brutalized. Um, I'm already a struggling. I'm already struggling as uh, as it is, but it's just wild to me that the city and Mayor Breed seems to want to give most of these funds to law enforcement instead of folks like me that rely on like public services and like food for families. Anyways, um, yeah, and the CEOs from transnational corporations and the dictators from different countries got the red carpet treatment. Meanwhile, I'm out here being brutalized by the forces that are supposed to be protecting me, but instead they're protecting CEOs. Well, I don't agree with my taxes being used to prioritize institutions that actively repress politically engaged citizens like me. Uh, it doesn't make sense that Mayor Breed wants most of these funds to go to more funding for law enforcement and not working families. Um, uh, we rely on these services that the mayor seems to really want to decimate. There are plenty of people in my neighborhood, Connie's district, who need food and culturally appropriate services that are all at risk of being cut and have been trying to stay afloat. Our city budget is a reflection of our priorities. We must prioritize working families and reimburse small businesses shuttered by APEC. We need to stop giving tax, tax cuts to billionaires and corporations, and we need to fully fund public services and their staff. Thanks. Thank you much, Kristen. Next speaker, please.
Good afternoon. My name is Zhi Wei Su. 今日嚟到呢度咧，就發現就話，因為我唔明白市政府點解會大張旗會用咁多資金去舉辦個 iPad， 而喺今年嘅預算中係大幅削減我哋工人外展項目嘅資金。咁大家知道咧，三藩市咧係好多都係少數族裔人嚟嘅，佢哋喺工作方面咧經常受到老闆啊嘅欺壓啊欺詐，好似呢啲勞工權益得唔到保障案例咧，誒係經常嘅。咁佢哋工作中咧經常係俾老闆歧視啦、欺詐啦、謾罵啦、欠薪同埋報復嘅。因此，我哋 CBA 今日仲要繼續加大工人權益外展嘅力度，幫助佢哋更多了解同依靠相關法律嚟保障自己權益。咁就需要市政府喺資金方面更多嘅援助，而唔係相反。請我哋尊敬嘅議員們同我哋一同發出豬呼聲，誒共同去反對削減工人權益嘅外展資金。Thank you. Hi, my name is Di Wei Su. I'm a member leader at the Chinese Progressive Association. Uh, but we don't I, we don't understand why when there's uh, so much money being spent on APEC, when instead, on the other hand, the mayor is cutting budget for important things like worker rights outreach that we do. We know that many low wage workers face a lot of in language barriers, unfamiliar surroundings, difficulty finding jobs, poor living conditions. To survive, they might accept jobs in really bad conditions with low wages. Um, exploitation, no benefits, no holidays, no sick leave, discrimination, and etc. For example, we met a Chinese um, employee who worked in a bakery who works many hours, and their employer did not tell them about overpay time. In San Francisco, we meet a lot of cases like these where labor rights are not protected, and CPA does really good work with the Worker Rights Community Collaborative to enforce worker rights. We're here to ask that instead of spending、um, reserve funds on other things, we would like to continue、um, funding for worker rights enforcement and outreach. Thank you. Thank you, Tiwaiso, and thank you for the translation. Next speaker, please. 呃，尊敬的四川市，你们好，我叫春梅，是 CPA 工人权益的外展员。大家都知道，市府用大量的资金用于 iPad， 我们市民认为这些基金应该运用在发展我们社区安全的建设上。我们强烈反对市长削减的工人权益外展项目的资金预算。在我五年外展工作中，遇见各种呃工人侵犯权益的案例，没有加班费，没有最低工资，没有带薪病假，拖欠工资无故被解雇。例如，一位家政工人每天工作十二个小时以上，每天的薪资只有八十元，每个星期休息一天，工作非常辛苦，然而却得不到最低工资的标准。有些这些有些有有色人种的们，都是因为语言障碍不了解。工人权益的和劳工法的基本权益，所以甚至不知道该去哪里去寻求帮助。而 CPA 的工作人员外展计划正是在用相同的语言，用这些呃为这些工人宣传他们的应有的权益，帮助他们争取所有的权益。所以削减外展资金就等于剥夺呃工人维护自己自维护自己权益的机会，就是在扼杀工人基本生活的保障。市长。预算也削减了对有色人种、年轻人和老年人身心健康的重要项目基金。这些呃赋予他们归属感的，包括姐妹花园和蜂鸟农场等花，就是社区花园健康和公民参与的项目。所以，请市长、市参议呃议员们一起强烈反对市长对工人权益外展项目资金的预算削减，反对削减姐妹花园的项目基金。谢谢。Hi, I'm Chun Mei Chao. We know that、um, the city has spent a lot of money on APEC, and we believe that funds should be used instead to develop our communities and for working families. 
Uh, I've been doing several years of workers' rights outreach. We've seen so many cases where workers don't have overtime pay, minimum wage, basic leave, um, um, do owed their old wages, they are discrim uh, they're discriminated against. We've met domestic workers who work 12 hour plus days and only earning $80 per day. A lot of workers of color because of language barriers don't understand um, labor rights in the United States and when they're facing issues they don't even know where to find help. CPA's worker rights outreach program um, uses their language so we're um, bilingual and we're culturally competent to outreach to them, to explain to them their rights and help them um, defend it. So cutting funds or not funding worker rights outreach is continuing to basically exploit workers and their rights to learn about, um, and their right to learn about their rights and be entitled and to defend it. Um, and we believe that work uh, safety and um, thriving and um, their rights being protected for workers directly impacts how safe our community and how safe San Francisco is. We believe that the um, mayor's budget cuts um, would also cut um, other um, important resources for um, young people and seniors who need important um, health and wellness programs and funding for that and the sense of belonging, for example, at Sisterhood Gardens and Hummingbird Farm. So we're here to ask the supervisors um, to restore funding to worker rights community collaborative outreach and for Sisterhood Gardens and other community gardens. Thank you, Chen Mei Chow. And again, Hi, we are taking public comment on the accept and expend uh, resolution uh, to the police department regarding their, uh, their funding for APEC and also the release of reserve funds to the mayor's office. So we're not talking about any budget cuts. We're not talking about any kind of funding to any department. Please stay on topic. Thank you. Hi, right. Supervisors. My name is Casey Ho, and I'm a community organizer at the Chinese Progressive Association. We are disappointed by how much the city has spent on APEC, when our city funding should go to supporting workers and working families. My coworkers and I meet with thousands of low-income workers every year. Without our street and media outreach, they wouldn't know basic labor rights, like overtime, basic leave, minimum wage. We see um, releasing funds to the police when our communities die, uh, very much need these resources and funds and facing these budget cuts is really horrible. Cuts would, um, to the Workers' Rights Community Collaborative will hurt tens of thousands of immigrant and working families of color who rely on culturally and linguistically competent community outreach programs that stop wage theft and support working San Franciscans in getting paid for their hard work and organize for fair and dignified working conditions. We also believe that SF should instead continue to fund health and wellness programs for youths, working families, and seniors, including community gardens like Sisterhood Gardens and Hummingbird Farm. These important spaces support cross-racial intergenerational exchanges that make San Francisco a safer place. We should prioritize investing in San Francisco's working families and youths, and if APEC brought in so much economic benefit, it should instead go to restoring mid-year budget cuts. Thank you. Thank you, Casey Hell. Next speaker, please. Hi, my name is Beck. I am a Chinese-American resident of San Francisco living in the Mission District. APEC directs funds from our community and after all the celebrations, leaves unhoused people displaced and the city in severe deficit due to its spending. Some of these 6.5 million funds is used for funding overtime pay for police it has been reported 
severe racial disparities in use of force by SFPD. It's over 20 times more likely for police to target black people over white people. We are in need of reform. It is clear that the current state of SFPD does not serve the community, and our community is in desperate need of true care. When we have access to this level of APEC funds, millions of dollars that largely are funded by big tech, we should instead reinvest in our community, especially in light of the budget cuts that many city departments are facing. Thank you. Thank you much, Beth. Next speaker, please. Hello, my name is Julia Sebastian. I'm part of the Jobs of Justice San Francisco, a coalition of community-based organizations, many of whom are here today, um, and unions in San Francisco that are deeply affected by the budget proposal. Um, as everyone here has said today, um, the millions spent on APEC and the proposed millions more in terms of policing our city in the name of the conference um, is in direct competition to the funding of our critical services. As a city with a limited budget and many needs for vulnerable residents, it is the duty of this body to decide what is critical. APEC is not only not critical, it has directly harmed many San Francisco residents, as has been stated, through policing, harassment of houseless residents, impact on immigrant communities and small businesses. Um, instead, we could use this money to fund true public safety, um, which is community safety, um, obvious, so much research backs us up, supportive housing, mental health services, youth programs, small businesses, and access to good jobs are what our city really needs. Uh, therefore, we reject the APEC allocation and instead support fully funding community services. Thank you. Thank you, Ms. Julie Sebastian. Next speaker, please. Good afternoon. Uh, my name is Keen Chakwaneta, also with Jobs with Justice San Francisco. I'm here to urge the supervisors to use the available funding, uh, like these APEC funds, to fund programs in danger of cuts uh, that benefit working families here in the city. Uh, proposed cuts to programming will hurt San Franciscans at a time when rents are soaring, wages are increasing, and they're not matching inflation, and the city is becoming more and more unaffordable to, to working families. Uh, the city so far has failed to rein in uh, soaring police costs because of events like APEC, has shifted or has resisted shifting spending on jails, is reducing revenue by cutting taxes for corporations and finding new ways to divert city funding uh, that would provide relief for working families towards uh, their own uh, political pet proje projects. So um, in my line of work, working with local labor unions and community groups over the past year and a half here in San Francisco, I've seen firsthand how economic realities have forced San, Francisco, San Franciscans to organize themselves in their homes and in their workplaces to fight uh, for economic justice, whether it be organizing tenant associations against landlords looking to squeeze every, um, every dime out of uh, properties that they own, or union members organizing uh, with community groups to take on private equity firms using their pension funds uh, to displace tenants. So the future of these working folks in many ways is up to you all here. Uh, is the city going to be responsive to their needs, to the people who built the city, or to their bosses, their landlords, and wealthy investors? That part I leave to you. Thank you all. Thank you much, King Chukwaneta. Next speaker, please. Hi, my name is Alex Olama, and I'm a D10 resident and a community organizer with San Francisco Rising. The APEC reserve in our city budget is a reflection of our priorities, and we must pri prioritize investing in community resources, working families, and youth in the city. Communities are not in agreement with Mayor Breed wanting to spend APEC funds on more policing. This neglects the resources that actually keep our community safe. The resources needed are affordable housing, mental health resources, programs for youth of color and civic engagement, community gardens, and worker protection funds, the same resources the mayor is trying to slash in her budget. I urge you all to commit to community safety over a police state. Thank you. 
Thank you much for addressing this committee. Next speaker, please. Buenas tardes. Mi nombre es Jorge Blanco y estoy aquí para apoyar. Soy jornalero y estoy aquí para apoyar a todas las personas que están aquí haciendo sus peticiones para que esas peticiones sean escuchadas y se les dé un trámite rápido, una solución y no sean nada más escuchadas y de aquí a la basura. Gracias. Good afternoon. My name is Jorge Blanco. I'm a day laborer. I'm here joining my voice in support of all the petitions that are being made here and that these petitions be taken seriously and not be thrown in the trash. Thank you very much. Buenas tardes. Yo soy Inés Lazarte. Uh, yo soy parte de, miembro de la colectiva de mujeres y del day labor program. Y so, vengo del distrito de la misión y nosotros soy parte de la colectiva y nosotros estamos como organización ayudamos a salir adelante a la gente inmigrante a buscar trabajos en la organización si hacen estos cortes ya no va a haber esas ayudas que dan y la gente se va a hacer carga pública entonces para evitar todo eso deberían de pensarlo bien y no hacer estos cortes en vez de ayudar a, a gente rica deben ayudar a organizaciones para que salgan a, a trabajar dar incentivos porque esa, estos cortes no está bien. Gracias y espero ser escuchado. Good afternoon. My name is Ines Lazarte. I'm a member of La Colectiva, Domestic Workers, Women's Collective, and the Day Labor Program. We work in community and support for our community to become to uh, the contributing and uh, the contributing group that it is to the community. And my voice is instead of funding the rich, we need uh, the cuts that have been made to our programs and to our budgets be restored so that we can continue being a productive members of the community. I'm a domestic worker myself. Thank you very much. I hope I am listened to. Thanks. Thank you, Ines Lasarte. Again, I must insist that you, that speakers do remain on topic when making your comments to this committee. Next speaker, please. Hi, uh, my name is PJ Eugenio, and I'm with Shadow Market Community Action Network, SOMCAN. We are very disappointed by how much money has been spent on APEC. While working class, while working families are struggling to keep a roof over their heads and food on the table. We must prioritize and maintain the essential services that supports working people and vulnerable communities, such as the Workers' Rights Community Collaborative, collaborative that supports immigrant and working families of color who rely on culturally and linguistically competent community outreach program. I work in the SOMA, and no one in our community is talking about how great APEC is. I guess APEC is not epic after all, right? <laughs> this city needs to focus on working people and families, the most vul vulnerable first, and not just the rich and powerful. Thank you. Thank you so much for addressing this committee. Next speaker, please. Good afternoon, supervisors. My name is Zachary Friall. I'm a resident of District 5, and I work at the South of Market Community Action Network. It's very disheartening to hear how much is continuing to be spent on APEC, especially when the event was a major disruption to the lives of seniors, workers, and families in the South of Market. Seniors were afraid to leave their homes, workers couldn't show up to work, and youth were blocked going to school. This money should instead go to directly supporting our communities, like protecting low-wage immigrant workers from being mistreated in the workplace. The Workers' Rights Community Collaborative, WRCC, stands to lose a significant amount of funding this year. 
This funding is crucial in allowing WRCC to educate workers in our communities about their rights and to protect them from wage theft, workplace harassment, intimidation, and other forms of exploitation. Without proper funding, it will be exponentially more difficult for low-wage workers to get what they deserve. The rights of our communities should not be sacrificed for the benefit of a wealthy few. Economic recovery for the city will not come from cutting essential public services or for paying for exorbitant and excessive events like APEC. It will come through investing in the future of San Francisco's working class. Thank you. Thank you much, Secretary Frail, for addressing this committee. Next speaker. Hi, I'm Jane Welford. I'm with Crossroads Women's Center, and we urge you to bring the money that you would be thinking of putting into protecting APAC to uh, community organizations. Um, please really think about it. Thank you. Thank you, Jane Rodford. Next speaker. Uh, good afternoon, Supervisors. Uh, my name is Lorenzo Lisana, and I am the founding director of the Filipino Community Development Corporation. I'm here to ask you to please uh, realign the investment in big conferences like the APEC and uh, best spent in helping our most uh, vulnerable population in San Francisco, especially our unhealthy population. I ask you, Supervisors, to restore the funding that you allocated in the city uh, city budget in July for the operations of the Urban Rest and Sleep Center or URSC Homeless Center project in the Tenderloin. The, the URSC will be located on the ground floor of 420 Turk. It will be in the Tenderloin. Um, so uh, it is a 24-hour homeless center looking to accommodate 60 multi-ethnic individuals predominantly serving the BIPOC uh, homeless individuals during the daytime and 20 beds at night will be available. Uh, or an average of like 200 to 300 clients weekly or about 800 to 1,000 clients monthly. So uh, this, will, this would suffer without restoring um, our budget. So, uh, and we're targeting 18 uh, to 50 years old uh, population, uh, unhoused population with the capacity to extend services to, to the senior population. So we have five services areas in the center, includes like social services and individualized case management program, hygiene program, where uh, there will be free shower and free laundry and uh, toilets available, independent living program, skill management. So uh, we ask you to restore our budget. It's just 350,000. It will serve 1,000 people every month. So I hope, I hope you consider. Thank you so much. Thank you, Lorenzo Stana. Next speaker. My name is Janet Daniels, and I work with Lorenzo. I'm a product of homelessness in San Francisco. Forgive me, but every time I speak, I just tear up because I'm so happy with how organizations like Lorenzo right now is forming this homeless coalition, and I'm supporting it 100% because I'm a product of it, and I've seen it. So I hope you guys will consider allocating funds to our cause. We have already started the program, and we have looked for places where we can house homeless people around and help them get supportive housing and um, other services. And we've been meeting every month for this, just to put it in place, but we need funding 
for you guys to please consider this as part of your uh, meeting today. Thank you so much. Thank you, John Daniels. Next speaker, please. Hello, Supervisors. David Wu. I'm the Community Development and Policy Coordinator with Soma Filipinas, the Filipino Cultural Heritage District in the South of Market. We must prioritize funding and spending that keeps our communities whole. There was extravagant, wasteful spending during APEC on parties, and the continued narrative was pushed that corporations and CEOs will save our city. In reality, it's the neighborhoods residents and small businesses that are the lifeblood of the city and that keep us strong while tech corporations come and go as they please. On top of this, we saw police brutality and assault, assaults on display during APEC harming community members. We must focus spending on our neighborhoods and working class residents. Thank you. Thank you much, David Will. Next speaker, please. Hello, Supervisors. My name is Megan, and I am a part of Gabriella at San Francisco State University. We're a grassroots uh, Filipino women's organization fighting for the rights and welfare of women, children, LGBTQ plus Filipinos. I'm here to ask for the reserved funds to not be released to go towards anything APEC related or any overtime costs for the police department. I was here alongside other organizers this past year, continuing to ask for no funds to go towards APEC listing out the negative impacts APEC would have on small businesses, our houseless community, and our right to protest. And what we saw was how APEC was an epic fail for our communities. We, we saw the extravagant spending on fireworks and private concerts, concerts as our SF residents continued to suffer from houselessness, as small businesses in different impact zones lost money from having to close during the week of APEC. We saw the documented harassment and assault of organizers by the police throughout the week of APEC. This city wants no more funding towards APEC. The only thing we would want these reserve funds to go towards is actual departments and programs that serve our community, like, house, like housing and family programs. Thank you. Thank you much, Megan. Next speaker, please. Hi, my name is Shara, and I live in District 10 and work in District 11 with the Filipino Community Center, which is a part of the Workers' Rights Community Collaborative. After hearing the discussion around the APEC spending, I am disappointed by how much has been spent on APEC and knowing that there were false promises that it will help the re economic recovery of the city. I believe that we should allocate the funding towards our workers' rights outreach program, housing, and food security instead. It is very important that we protect the services that working class immigrant community rely on for information to help them be informed about feeling safe working in the city. During the pandemic, we saw the heightened issue of unsafe working conditions such as discrimination, abuse from their employers, and not receiving proper PPE. We also saw this during APEC too. They also experienced isolation while working too. We saw that these issues spiked significantly compared to previous years before the, the pandemic. And the mayor's budget cut will hurt immigrant and working families of color who rely on culturally and linguistically competent community outreach programs that stop wage theft and support working San Franciscans in getting paid for their hard work um, organized for fair and dignified working conditions. We must also protect the fundings for Sisterhood Garden and Hummingbird Farm because these are the only public spaces that the youth rely on to feel safe in their community. And they also utilize these spaces to take care of their mental well-being when they're feeling alone during the pandemic or facing grief from the crisis happening in the city. 
Our budget is a reflection of our priorities, and we must prioritize investing in San Francisco's working families and youth across the whole city, not downtown corporations and fancy, um, and fancy events like APEC, and absolutely not allocating this reserve to the police. Thank you. Thank you much for addressing this committee. Next speaker, please. Uh, good afternoon, supervisors. My name is MB, and I'm a workers' rights staff member at the Filipino Community Center in District 11, San Francisco. Um, we're also a member organization of the San Francisco Workers' Rights Community Collaborative. Um, we are here today to express our disappointment in how much the city has spent on APEC and how this is directly tied to our opposition to the mayor's significant cuts in funding for our annual workers' rights outreach programs in this year's budget. Last year, we fought with our community against the budget cuts, uh, while at the same time educated our community on their rights during the week of APEC. Uh, we discussed how the city's priorities in funding APEC would impact SF workers and immigrants and address their safety concerns about increased policing because of APEC. Immigrant workers and working uh, families in District 11 were among the districts that were hit the hardest during the pandemic, and many of our workers are still recovering from the economic impacts. Data from the city shows a spike of labor violations since the pandemic, which shows us that there is a higher need for the city to prioritize funding that will protect low-wage workers in the city. Essential services and programs to support and allow workers and, and their families to live and work in San Francisco should be a top priority for this city, instead of more um, funding to the already ballooned SFPD budget. Thank you for your time. And thank you for addressing this committee. Next speaker. Um, hello, supervisors. Uh, my name is Jared. I live and work in District 11, and I am a staff member at the Filipino Community Center. Um, we are also a part of the San Francisco Workers' Rights Community Collaborative. Um, I want to say that I am very disappointed by how much money has been spent on APEC when our city funding should go to vital programs and services for working-class Filipinos and other immigrant and working-class families in San Francisco. As we all know, living and working in this city has been difficult, especially in the wake of our economic recovery from the pandemic. Instead of prioritizing the needs of working-class San Francisco residents, Mayor London Breed spent millions of our city's funds on hosting an extravagant conference for billionaires. Mayor Breed wants to spend the majority of APEC funds on policing downtown to displace San Franciscans struggling with homelessness. Which does, not, which does nothing to resolve the root of the housing crisis while simultaneously neglecting the safety and well-being in our neighborhoods and ignoring the negative impacts the conference had on local small businesses, residents, and immigrants who live and work in the areas downtown where the conference was hosted. Use the APEC funding to address the dire, um, the dire living and working conditions in our communities. These funds should be used for essential programs and services that San Francisco needs. Use the reserve funds to strengthen affordable housing, food security programs, and especially workers' rights outreach programs that our communities rely on and desperately need. Thank you. And thank you much, Jared. Next speaker. My name is Laura Cohen, and I have lived in the city for at least 13 years, and I live in the Tenderloin. And I love the Tenderloin. I work in the Tenderloin. I see a lot of cops in the Tenderloin driving by doing absolutely nothing besides harassing people. However, a lot of cops do say that they get into policing because they want to help people. They want to help the community. But 
How did their presence at APEC actually help the community? Any real security was provided by the Secret Service. Unless you count their very important job of harassing the local unhoused population. They certainly weren't helping out local businesses by pacing around the giant fences that contributed to plummeting profits for local businesses. What were they doing? And what kind of budget doesn't account for over six million in overtime? I can think of hundreds of better uses of that money you've been hearing a plenty of ideas just while you've been sitting here. I would also like to point out that it requires more training to cut people's hair than it does to be a cop. That's not to say that I think you should give them more training, just to show how unqualified these people are to actually help the community. That money that they want towards overtime could go towards proven methods of actually helping communities and making safer neighborhoods. Things like housing, health care, education, basic universal income, and giving land back to indigenous people. If the police want to help, they can go get a real job, like being a social worker. I yield my time. Thank you much, Laura Cohen. Next speaker. Hi, my name is Sully Tamayovi. I am with San Francisco Rising. Um, I urge you to uh, ensure that the reserve funds are not released to law enforcement. Um, my father uh, lost two dear friends, Jean Viernes and Silme Domingo, to um, the assassination by the Marcos government in the Philippines in the 1970s. Um, these were two of tens of thousands of people who were disappeared by that martial law regime. The son of the dictator, Marcos Bongbong, was invited here to San Francisco um, and that's exactly what, what APEC uh, allowed in the city. Um, APEC was a case study of major cities where the streets become militarized and poor people are terrorized for the sake of tech and corporate elite to make their deals and further their business profits. Those who brought APEC brag about the revenue and benefit to the community, but truly the spending is irresponsible and none of that benefit has been felt by the everyday working class of the city. Thank you. Thank you much, Sally Tamayo Lee. Next Good speaker. afternoon, supervisors. Um, just want to echo, and but not repeat, a lot of the comments that's been made by community members here, especially those facing cuts, um, vulnerable communities. And also um, want to you know, welcome Supervisor Melgar to the Budget Committee. Um, I know you guys have a, a tough season ahead of you, uh, budget season seems to come earlier and earlier. And just want to point out that it seems to be like there's this different worldviews in terms of what makes our city um, recover, um, successful, and um, sustainable. And I think there's the worldview that uh, we need the corporations and the billionaires to save us. But the reality is they didn't become billionaires for nothing. You know, they've become billionaires from enriching themselves from workers um, and the small guys and and they continue to do that also through the use of their influence through uh, the city government. So, you know, I think as you, you know, face um, having to make these really tough uh, budget priorities, I think that's really important, you know, to look at. Like, who caused the crisis we're in and the great disparities that we're facing um, in the first place? Um, I'm So I we also want to, I'm here today to, share with you a petition that was signed by 66 small businesses in the South Market area. Um, we were, our office, Soma Pilipinas, was actually in the heart of um, the 
security zone, YBCA decided to close to cut our losses. But many of the small businesses decided to stay open. Um, a lot of them, you know, even um, if they were really concerned about, you know, losing money, they wanted to make sure their workers uh, were employed, but they want to be part of the, the team, right, to, to welcome APEC. But they've lost far over $3.5 million. So we're here to support and, and make sure that some of these APEC funds, instead of, you know, going to the police, that they actually be prioritized for small businesses that, um, that lost a lot. And a lot of them are, you know, not able to pay their vendors or may have to face closure because of the losses they faced. Thank you much, Raquel Redondias. Next speaker. Hello, I'm Dr. Carol Tang, and I'm the executive director of the Children's Creativity Museum. As you know, we are located on top of Bosconi Center, and so therefore we were at the epicenter of APEC. And I will say for the neighborhood, despite all of our personal, diverse, and vibrant political um, leanings, we were entrusted with presenting San Francisco in a way that showed us to be the vibrant, resilient, and diversity for the entire world. We were proud to be the, that you trusted the city and the federal government trusted our Soma neighborhood to represent America. And we opened, we spent weeks preparing to welcome the world. And as someone who um, is in this neighborhood that has been hit hard by the pandemic, we wanted to use this as a way to celebrate the children and families of the neighborhood. APEC actually fell during Veterans Day, which is traditionally our busiest day of the year. And so we thought, what a great opportunity to serve our family. All those parents who all of a sudden have kids at home, unexpectedly on Veterans Day, but also all the kids who've been disrupted by the pandemic and by APEC, and use that as an opportunity to show the world what a cultural organization can do to welcome and serve children of all backgrounds. And instead, the reality, though, on the ground was that the news was do not come to downtown, transit was going to be disrupted, and the fencing went up earlier than we had anticipated. Therefore, we're requesting now um, that those of us, I don't know how to turn this on, um, we actually have a proposal that, in, that the additional reserve funding from, that, uh, from the reserve fund, the additional three and a half million, be spent on helping those of us who really put out the effort and the funding to make APEC a welcoming place and to help us with the financial losses that we experienced. We were open that day, we staffed up, and because of that, we lost more money than Speaker we had expected. Please don't abandon us now that the, the spotlight of much. APEC has ended. Next speaker, please. Hi, Supervisors. Um, thank you. I'm Scott Rhodes. I'm the Executive Director for the Yerba Buena Community Benefit District. Um, thanks for having it, and thanks for this discussion today. Um, just to give you a little background, Yerba Buena neighborhood, as we all know, was where APEC occurred. Um, it was, we were so proud of it. We have a diverse neighborhood. I think you know this information, but there are 16 cultural organizations in our neighborhood, 12 hotels, an amazing convention center, 113 restaurants, bars, and establishments, 54 shopping businesses, many small business. We have 11,000 residents in Yerba Buena and the area, um, and much open space. APEC was a very positive and improved the visit for San Francisco. The visibility for San Francisco was amazing. Long-term travel and tourism and will be benefited from it. The city was clean, it was safe, it was beautiful. We're really proud of all those efforts. And there was strong economic impact from APEC as a whole. 
Um, conventions, as we know, are a key driver to the Yerba Buena neighborhood. Um, in 2023, we had 34 conventions, um, 55 tourism jobs, 255 million direct spend. Historically and consistency, conventions are strong for the Yerba Buena neighborhood. APEC was different. It was a unique, it was a once in a lifetime, 100 year event, um, very different, but last time we saw this was in the, um, after World War II with the United Nations. So very different kind of event. The Secret Service had a job to do. We understand that they did a great job um, keeping everybody safe. Our OEWD did an amazing job of outreach to the community and the small businesses, um, police in Moscone, SF Travel, et cetera. We're real proud of all those efforts, but we do know that the neighborhood saw a drop in attendance during that period. We saw, we were on track for an 8.1% growth. We really saw a 33% drop in attendance travel through the neighborhood during that period. So just in summary, APEC put us on the world stage. We're very proud of it. It builds towards re reputation of San Francisco, recovery of San Francisco. City was energized, clean, safe. Um, residents benefited from beautification, but the security you, measures were complex. Um, it was feast or famine, lives. and thank you for your time. Thank you. Next speaker. Hello, my name is Nicole, and I am a worker in District 11 and also a member of Anagbayan CCSF. The reserves that was dedicated to APEC should not be reallocated for the police. APEC and the police does not serve you know, the interest of the working class immigrants. It only enforces violence against us. An example of this was during the week uh, APEC was hosted here, a police officer groped one of our people on the breast when that person was trying to de-escalate a situation, a woman. Um, we shouldn't allow for more violence to continue to happen. We don't need more overtime for the police, not to go towards the increase of surveillance and arrest, but to the small businesses that lost money, which would ultimately benefit workers like myself in the city. And growing up in the SF, like, I've only seen the increase of homelessness. Um, APEC really just pushed people out. It didn't really solve the issues that we were all hurting. Businesses are still shutting down. I don't see the benefits of APEC, and I don't see the benefits of putting more money towards the police. Thank you. Thank you much, Nicole. And with that, Madam Chair, that completes our queue. Thank you. Seeing no more public comments, public comment is now closed. Um, colleagues, I, um, I just wanted to let you know that Supervisor Matt Dorsey uh, meant to join us earlier, but he unfortunately had a, uh, a time constraint uh, and need to attend it in, to attend another event. So he has sent his uh, legislative aide, Madison Tam, here uh, to speak on his behalf. Please go ahead. Yes, thank you, Chair Chan. Uh, Madison Tam, aide to Supervisor Matt Dorsey. As uh, the chair said, Supervisor couldn't be here this morning, but um, I'm here to read a statement on his behalf. I want to thank Chair Chan for her work uh, authoring and passing a resolution to urge the mayor and city agencies to inform residents and vulnerable communities of security, transportation, and service impacts, and to prioritize city funding towards mitigation of impacts on neighborhoods, small businesses, and vulnerable communities. And thank you for co-sponsoring the hearing we held at this committee before the holidays, where we heard from the Yerba Buena community on the financial impacts and undue hardships that may have resulted to small businesses, cultural institutions, community organizations, residents, and workers as a result of APEC. I do want to express my congratulations to the multitude of agencies at the local, state, and federal levels for staging a remarkable and historic event. I think it succeeded in showcasing San Francisco to the world, and it showed that we can still clean up nice. I think it showed the world that our city is a city worth investing in, visiting, working, and living in. 
However, now that APEC has concluded, it's also important for the city to solicit feedback from the community on what went well and where we have room for improvement, including any adverse impacts the restrictions may have had to small businesses in and around the security zone. Our hearing on APEC showcased the incredible pain felt by businesses in and around the security perimeter, including the loss of foot traffic and difficulties with carrying out operations like deliveries. This is on top of the existing challenges with public safety and decreased foot traffic post-pandemic. Since the hearing, we have been having conversations about what the city and more specifically OEWD can do to mitigate the impacts. There is a desire from OEWD to work with community stakeholders to connect them with existing department resources, which is a step in the right direction, but we believe, as, as does Chair Chan, that more direct support is necessary. APEC was a once-in-a-lifetime event, I believe the first one since the UN Charter with National Security Special Designation, and I'm not worried about setting a precedent that the city will provide direct payments when there are other events that impact businesses, since this was such a rare and unique circumstance. The community has worked together on a proposal that includes appropriating, appropriating uh, th the remainder of the APEC reserve to direct support for impacted businesses. The funds would then be distributed based on a formula that they've begun to work on but is still to be decided. I believe this is the most fair way to make these businesses whole, but we also need to be mindful of how the allocation of these funds impacts the budget challenges ahead. Earlier this week, my office began the process of initiating a reappropriation of these funds, and we are appreciative that in her role as budget chair, uh, Supervisor Chan was able to get legislation ready quickly. Uh, obviously, it is not on the agenda today, but uh, with the supplemental that Supervisor Chan introduced yesterday, that would establish an APEC Small Business Resilience Fund. This reserve was set aside specifically for APEC, and the allocation of these funds do not take away from existing programs or department responsibilities. I am delighted to co-sponsor the uh, supplemental and look forward to continuing to work with the Yerba Buena community and my colleagues on the board and our friends in the administration on crafting the right, uh, the right solution that makes them whole. And aside from Supervisor Dorsey's statement, I would like to thank the Yerba Buena stakeholders who are here today and who waited um, to give comment, particularly Scott Rowitz from the Yerba Buena Community Benefit District, Raquel Redondez from Soma Filipinas, Carol Tang from the Children's Museum, and she didn't speak, but Jill Linwood from the Yerba Buena Conservancy. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Ms. Tam, and thank you so much for um, reading the statements and speaking on behalf of Supervisor Dorsey. Um, colleagues, I think that you know the difficult choice be, uh, before us is the fact that you know, um, the administration has uh, had carried out a mid-year budget cut, about roughly $75 million. Um, I think it's majority of what the public commenters really commented on today, that they are suffering from um, that budget mid-year budget cut. Meanwhile, it, it is definitely difficult to, in contrast, to, to talk about uh, another $20 million of spending to host events like APAC, that including events like that has, at Expatorium, that has a concerts, private concerts and fireworks, um, all also uh, shows that it's on the backs of uh, small business workers um, that uh, were located in the um, exclusion zone. Uh, during the APAC event. Um, it is definitely um, difficult because when the time is good, it's a very different conversation. When the time is bad, like right now, with the budget deficits that continue to balloon, it's very difficult to talk about spending priorities and trade-offs um, and seeing that on one hand is funding events like the Exploratorium for the APAC purpose, 
And then on the other hand, seeing their food security, housing, and homeless programming, and, and all that is being reduced and cut. Um, so with that, um, I, I just uh, wanted to make sure that if there's any other concluding remark from the mayor's office at this point, and, and um, before I, my intention today is that we will be, uh, of course, accepting the grant uh, from the special events committee, which is 6.5 million dollars, um, which is equivalent to the $6.5 million that we're going to release. Um, but um, I urge you colleagues that I, I will be considering release without recommendation. Uh, this is also in the context that we just um, put $48 million on reserve. Um, which is uh, addressing the mid-year budget cut so that we can continue to have that conversation about uh, the services that are being reduced and cut from, from that $48 million, what can we do to restore them? So I, while they're not the same uh, items, but they are uh, within the context of today's uh, committee hearing and, and, and meeting. So I, I just wanted to put it all together in context. Um, what we have done earlier with item um, 13, uh, which is put $48 million on reserve, which is majority of the uh, cuts that the mayor has proposed, which is really related to majority of the public commenters came before us today um, about their concerns. And then as far as the um, APAC spending, we ought to accept the money uh, for the $6.5 million. Also is the fact that we already spent the money both on policing and some of the city departments that it was listed in the budget and legislative analyst report, which is a total of $26 million. And therefore, um, we have to release the reserve to pay uh, the costs already spent. Um, but in light of what is happening with city's budget deficit, I will be um, asking for your support to move this release of this reserve fund without recommendation. Um, just wanted to see if there's any more comment. Seeing none, and uh, with the mayor's office, Director Dooning, seeing also uh, declined to further comment on this. Um, so colleagues, then I would like to make the motion to move um, item 14 with recommendation accepting the $6.5 million from the Special Events Committee uh, and uh, move item 15 to full board with out recommendation releasing the $6.5 million fund. And with that, um, let's uh, have a roll call. Oh. Yeah, uh, actually, uh, Madam Chair, uh, item 15, the um, uh, item 15 is a, is a hearing to release uh, the reserve funds. Uh, the committee can just declare the funds released and it does not go to the full board. So on that motion, to forward the resolution in item 14 to the full board with a positive recommendation and to release the reserve funds to the mayor's office in the amount of 6.5 million and that the hearing in item 15 be heard and filed. On those motions, Vice Chair Mandelman. Aye. Mandelman, aye. Member Melgar. Aye. Melgar, aye. Chair Chan. Aye. Chan, aye. We have three ayes. Thank you, the motion passes. And, and colleagues, I also uh, hope to have your support um, addressing some of those concerns specifically with APAC and small business. We have introduced a supplemental uh, yesterday to create the funds to support workers and small businesses that were impacted uh, by APAC events 
uh, within the exclusionary zone. So hope to have your support when it does come before you at this, uh, com at this committee later on. And with that, um, Mr. Clerk, do we have any other business before us? Uh, Madam Chair, that concludes our business. Thank you, and the meeting is adjourned.